back. We are live for what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? Alright, welcome back everybody. And today wait, 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 wait. I gotta do an accent. What are you guys talking about? Uh, what was that? I don't know. Whoa, I, don't, I don't know. That was terrible. You have a new haircut, <laughs> beard's kind of trimmed a different way, and now he's talking like a, I think you wanted to be Canadian. Canadian? Right? Jamaican? I don't know. It's because, you know, one of the big, we're starting with the off-topic stuff already, but, you know, Eddie texts me this week and says, did you know that Michael Moore made Canadian bacon? I know, I was shocked by that. My responses were pretty funny because I was like, no, but I fucking love that movie. I, you know? know, I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's hilarious. I've heard it's really good. One of the like, greatest lines in this, do you want your do you want your children saluting a maple leaf? <laughs> it, like it basically, yeah, it basically shows why Americans are completely crap for not liking Canadians. And to be fair, some of my best friends in this world are now Canadians, so I've been converted to the other side. Fair enough. I actually lived there for a while. So. Did you? Yeah, I lived in Quebec City. I didn't know that. Which is like that's like French Canada, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a whole different, it's like a sub subculture. But yeah, that's cool. I lived with. Uh, okay, you always get my crazy stories on this on mm-hmm. this darn podcast. I lived with a. Uh, a f- uh, French Canadian chef bachelor okay. named Réjean Breton. Ooh, it ooh, was so French Canadian. Oh, it was awesome. This guy was like, anytime you want to have parties over at the house, you know, because he's like do. forty, and he's single, so yeah. he's like, bring those college girls. <laughs> Man, we had my biggest problem was I was supposed to be studying French, and I did study French at Université Laval, uh-huh. and that program is tough. The program requires you to stay in French the entirety, which, you know, me, the usual rule breaker, yeah. I was as much as I could trying to go into English. but All Spanish. They, no, well, yeah, I was studying Spanish at the same time. But it was, it was interesting because they literally, like, patrolled the city. So mm. if you got caught. Um, so the, the good news was is that I had this amazing time in Quebec City over the summer festival de Ete is their big music festival yeah, yeah, yeah. and before that I had been at Montreal's jazz festival yeah. traveled up there by train so it's one of those iconic moments of my life yeah, yeah. Um, but I came back with like the worst grades you know <laughs> I mean because I, I didn't study at all I just I, I always think that that's a life experience that you got you know college was very much a life experience for me <laughs> You know, according to your transcript, exactly. Like Jason, I thought you were going to Harvard Law. I was, and then I went to college, and that didn't quite work out that and way. Then I have fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the thing. You know, better, <coughs> better to live a little than to um, than to not live at all. But anyway, why are we talking about Michael Moore? Because bum, 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 we are on top ten films, and Eddie picked a weird one today. He's picked Bowling for Columbine, which wow, we're gonna have a lot to talk about with that. So. Mm-hmm. We're going to get started with that. Before I get too into this, though, our main site for this is SoundCloud. Please, we have more and more people listening, which makes me very, very happy because I check the statistics almost on a daily basis. I'm the producer. That's what I'm supposed to do. So please continue to subscribe, like, and comment. As I said, people don't ever really comment on these podcasts, and I'm like, it's a, it's a two-hour discussion about stuff. Please feel free to say something. Mm-hmm. But that's where you can do it. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Um, like I said, I'm, I'll be uploading this onto Player FM and other places soon. Um, but just watch the space for more sites that you'll be able to download your podcast for this on. Um, there are other ways to get a hold of us. The best way is www.lovevictoriaproductions.com. That's our website that has all of our content. And I would encourage you, because if you like this, you're going to like the other stuff that we do as well. And you may be interested in talking to us about one of the projects we're working on. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline all of a sudden. It seems in the past month. That things have just ramped up and now we've got quite a few things going on. It will be on the website in the next couple of weeks. We have our old stuff on there and stuff that we're you know been working on in the background. It's all there for you to see, like, subscribe, love, comment, whatever. You know, it's just us. And it gives a good, I think, backstory to kind of what we do here on the podcast, which we're trying to help those indie filmmakers out. 
So, if you don't want to catch us there, we're on Facebook, Edward Burgos or Jason Chereau. My last name is very strange. It's French and it's C-H-E-R-O-T. So there you go. You can find it. Always find us with Love Victoria Productions on Facebook as well. We have Instagram accounts with Nano LVP and Jazzy J. Chereau. Um, LinkedIn, there is my personal page, which will give you a bit of details about my day job as well if you're interested. Or you can find us on the company page, which is Love Victoria Productions again. Finally, on uh, not Instagram, but Twitter, I'm there with Mouth Love Victoria. So at symbol at the front, please. That's an easy way to get a hold of me with things. It's a lot of people message me via that now um, when you need to talk to me about something. So please, by all means, get in touch with us. We love hearing from you and we love comments. So please, 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 you know, whatever you need to do, uh, jump over a fence, run through the fire, come make a comment on our webpage. So without further ado, though, we're going to have a slightly different format because Bowling for Columbine is a documentary. Yeah. How about, Ed, can we start yeah. just by you giving us a bit of background to this sure um then we'll kind of get into the production and money stuff mm-hmm. and then what we're gonna do is just walk through this documentary and talk about it at different times this is gonna be a slightly different podcast because ed and i are gonna get political but that's part of looking at indie making and this wasn't indie by any mm-hmm. by any means this was not an indie productions but documentaries can be made by indie filmmakers it's mm-hmm. actually a really good gig to do if that's your thing so we're going to try to go down that path a bit today and give you some pointers and things that you would like to know about documentaries ed was just actually explaining a bunch of stuff about this to me before we even hit the record button so the hope is that you listen that um, maybe you like our commentary on the movie because that's always one part of what we're doing but also that you get inspired to make your own documentary because in the era we live in, and this is the reason I, I really kind of enjoyed that Ed put this on this list, in the era we live in, I don't understand why there aren't more documentaries going around. You have a camera on your phone and you can tell any message that you want. You can interview any person that you want. All you have to do is go up and do it. So this is really a good place for indie filmmakers if you have a message that you want to say or a a particular observation you want to make on life. Again, I don't understand why there's not more. The ones I do watch... Hopefully we can answer that question um, today. I think so. So, um, without further ado, Eddie, why don't you talk a little bit about the background to this film then? Sure thing. Um, So, I mean, first of all, obviously, documentary is a traditional filmmaking format. Um... In fact, most of the very early films that were made were documenting workers coming out of factories, a train arriving into the station, you know, um, the Lumiere brothers, all that kind of stuff. The narrative stuff came a little bit later, in fact. Mm. So, you know, documentaries have a long storied history um, in in the history of film. Um, this one um, well, came out in 2002. That's correct. Um, it was the second feature-length documentary uh, by Michael Moore, mm-hmm. who had uh, grown up in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. and um, uh, ended up doing some journalism, mm-hmm. uh, which you can kind of feel a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in, in the way he approaches it. And, you know, documentaries are often kind of put in a in a journalism category almost mm-hmm. um, you know 60 minutes very famous uh, uh, news show you know tells a story on on TV mm-hmm. um, but uh, his first documentary was uh, Roger and me which was looking at the closure of the um, the uh, General Motors 
plants in Detroit, in just all over Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a, a, a big success uh, in the in the theaters. Um, this one uh, became the highest grossing documentary film of all time. It's hailed as the the greatest documentary uh, as of one of the best. Yeah, uh, it was a, a four million budget, I think, and fifty eight million fifty eight million at the box office. Fifty four million yeah. for a documentary. Yeah. But you know that his next one, Fahrenheit nine eleven, mm-hmm. made. 222 million yes so insane a bit of background to that (laughs) yeah because i I don't know this is a very strange movie Mm -hmm. for me to be talking about outside of america okay because this was a whole phenomenon in america and it felt very american so again when you suggested this film i said interesting i'm Mm. not sure how does a brit look at this film how does you know, and I didn't just think Brit. I was like, how does a European look at this? How yeah, would an yeah. Asian person look right, at this right. film? Anyone who's not American. Exactly, because it's talking about like tenets of, of our country, of our culture. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that you just wouldn't know if mm. you didn't grow up there. Things that I didn't even realize about my country yeah. until I was older. I think, well, you know, one of the things that we discussed before we, we started recording was um, it, this was the first film that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. Mm. And it made me realize that film could have a message that it was more than just entertainment or necessarily art, that it could kind of move someone's way of thinking, you know, Correct. And, and so getting into that a bit, and, 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 and as I said, this is going to be a very flowing kind of podcast because as I said, in a documentary, we kind of have to just go through the motions of what we're talking about with it. So what happens with this film? You have, in 2000, you have the election that is one of the most controversial elections. So the year after the Columbine incident, which is in 1999, mm. in 2000, you have what I would consider the end. You know, it's very interesting that we watched The Matrix earlier mm-hmm. because, again, that really was, at least for a person like myself, the pinnacle of American civilization. Mm-hmm. When George, you know, when, sorry, when Bill Clinton was, you know, president, those yeah. years... We just were top of the world. Yeah, 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 And it was a very good feeling to be... You know, I grew up in the American suburbs. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I can't say this is the same experience that everyone else in America had. Yeah. But I can tell you that, you know, my suburbans felt plasticine. Mm-hmm. And sure, I had a whole lot of what I call first world problems. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at it now, it was one of the... You know, it's almost like the 1950s to it's my idyllic. parents. It's yeah. very idyllic. Mm. And it's not just because they had rose colored glasses. Because okay. that's where we need to get into the discussion of how... This fits into the American timeline. Right. So George Bush is elected controversially in yeah. 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to admit, I did not vote in that election, even though I was old enough to. That was the first election that I could would have been. You would have been 18. Right? I would have been the first one I could have voted in. Mm-hmm. I didn't because I just assumed Al Gore would take it. You know, take it with a thing. Was was that quite common amongst your peers at that time? Was that the feeling? I think yeah. We just didn't see. You didn't feel. The conservative rising. It was the same thing that happened. In, as I said, this is going to lead into just talking about Trump. Yeah, but yeah. again, liberals in America are always caught off guard. We are just horrible with that because yeah. we just assume the good times are always going to last. Mm. Part of it's our complete lack of respect for conservatives in our country. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael Moore, at least at this time, is a really good kind of middle ground. Yeah. Even though he's so liberal now, yeah. he comes from 
from the most conservative parts of America mm. and understands those people very, very well. Yeah. I think he's just ultimately, like, the last interview I read about him is yeah. like, he's very tired of the world now because yeah. he feels like he's not making an impact, which right. after this, I may just write him a letter saying, listen, Michael, like... You if make nothing it, else, you, you impacted two people. Two people, a lot of people. So yeah. that's... I'm very long-winded with my explanations and apologize. <laughs> so that's the start. So 2000, Bush gets elected, yeah. loses the popular vote, but wins the Electoral College. Yeah. The first time Republicans are running that was ticket. Was it the Florida, like, there was... It was horrible. So yeah. it goes to a Supreme Court decision mm-hmm. and... I mean, it's just, or no, it doesn't. It this, doesn't. It doesn't this, get challenged. This one didn't because Al Gore, we felt, was very limp-wristed on the yeah, whole yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. just decides to walk away yeah. and says Bush won. Yeah. And people, we were furious mm. because it was like, how can you do it? This guy, he was a daddy's son, yeah, um, which was jarring enough. Yeah. Um, but he also didn't look qualified. No, he just yeah. was not an intelligent guy. No offense, Mr. Bush. You know, since then, you learned that not every president has to be a genius. No, certainly. He's... And, and, you know, and you weren't a bad president per se. I just, you weren't my politics. It, it felt like he was a puppet. It just, again, it wasn't my politics. Yeah, yeah. And you go through this really good 10-year era of really saying... Ah, yeah, America is just this liberal place where we like everybody, we protect the world. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. people rely on us to be the good guy. Yeah. We have a really strong moral compass. Yeah. And then he wins the election, and not too much changes then. So he wins the election, we're furious, but it's like, well, probably about time. That, you know, it's just like politics yeah. here. Pendulum, Pen- swing, pendulum right? swings. Let the Republicans have the presidency for a while. How bad can this really be? Yeah. It's just a rich kid's son. Yeah. So. Then we're, we're moving up to the inevitable, which is 9-11. And I cannot emphasize to our listeners any more than I, I, I have done to people in the past. This is, at least in my generation, when everything changes. It's the defining moment of our lifetimes, pretty much. I think for Americans. I don't understand why it is for other countries. Interesting. Because it didn't change England the way it changed my country. No, but I think if if I can try and answer the question, this is this is why we're yeah. having the talk. So this is what I'm saying. Please interrupt and, yeah, and, and yeah. fill in yeah. where you think, because again, I don't have any perspective yeah. on this. At that time, uh, it was New Labour. They'd been in for what three years already? I think it was '97 when they came in. Tony Blair, you know, a young kind of energetic uh, vibe was was taking over the country, you had Britpop, you had the Spice Girls, you had, like, all of these very kind of positive things. And the fact is that when uh, 9-11 happened and the inevitable kind of results of that, which was the invasion of Iraq, uh, Britain dove in headfirst. Well, and let me pause there because I've, I've been incredibly and i apologize to any brit listening to this i've been incredibly naive in what i just said Mm. because if i remember correctly as soon as the twin towers are hit it's Mm. what a month later or two months later that you had the bus disaster or the is it a two yes uh june it was the it was june 27th i think it was a bombing right they bombed but I think that was later. I think that was like a couple of years later. I don't think so. No? I really don't. I'm pretty sure this happens in quick succession after 9-11. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, now I do have perspective on that because, Jesus Christ, the amount of stuff we've gone through on London Bridge. I walk across that bridge every single 
day. And my parents constantly ask me, mm. like, are you okay? And mm. it's like you can't even think about it. Yeah. So Ed's right. It's four years later that you have the July bombing. So no, this was when the f- this is when things ramp up a bit. So it's a bit. The story's a bit later for for England, but eventually yeah. you're going to get in the same world that we are. Right, and it's and it's that that I think why a lot of people who maybe weren't as impacted as you know Americans by that event. As I said, the easiest way for anyone to share these stories is by telling personal ones. And I tell mm. a lot of personal stories, but this is one that I think will give you the impact. Like, mm. So this happens as I'm getting ready for college. Mm. I've accepted a scholarship. Again, we're living in the era of 10 years of goodness. I've mm. just come out of high school living in Lily White suburbs. Mm. My life is good, mate. My yeah. life is really good. America seems good. It's like, A little bummed with the election, I guess, which was your point earlier. Probably a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like, well, yeah, that kind of stinks. I was Mm. like, you know, I don't know what this guy's going to be like. But again, politics in general in America, though, all I remember the 90s was Bill Clinton versus Newt Gingrich. And that's as bad as it got. And Mm. Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh, God knows those guys will say all sorts of things. But Republicans have always been that way. It was never as as dirty as like hearing about the Nixon era and kind of... The, the, the sheer turmoil the world, or at least America, was in because people were so divided with politics. Right, 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 right. We had gotten past that. The Cold War in the 80s had united the left and the right to a center. Right. And it was just generally, once the Cold War was over, it was like, well, then we just continue being the peacekeepers right. of the world, and isn't America awesome? Right. You know, I was a guy who wrote letters to a dude in the Iraq War, not the one that happens after 9-11, but the, the first one. one yeah. You know, I wrote, he sent me t-shirts, like, it was a good world. Like, mm. everything felt like it was in its place. Yeah. So, Bush gets elected, and it's like, well, okay, like, but they can't do too much, right? Mm. And so I'm in college. I remember I had a living girlfriend at the time. My mm. poor mother. I had so many living girlfriends back in the day. Um, living girlfriend. And I remember waking up with her in the morning. Mm. And she turned on the TV. And this is, we're kids, right? So yeah, this yeah. is like, we wake up at like 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn on the TV. I mean, literally the first thing I see is that second. It's exactly, it was very strange. Because yeah. it was right when the plane went into the second tower. Wow. And so we're watching a live feed. Yeah. And all of a sudden it goes in, and I remember, I won't say the girl's name, because she actually lives in England, but she turns to me, and she says, did that just really happen? And I was like, I don't know. My phone rings. Yeah. Okay, like, I'm at my house. Yeah. My phone rings. My mother, who is at school teaching, yeah. has stopped teaching and calls me in tears. Now, remember, I've told you my parents are big hippies. And they're New Yorkers, aren't they? At least your dad. Yeah, both my mom, my mom and my dad are your both dad New Yorkers, well. yeah, yeah. right? So, yeah. Not even getting into that yet, because yeah, yeah. that comes later, actually. The mm. first thing that happens is my mother calls me, and she is deathly worried about the draft. Oh, okay. Reinstating the draft. Of course, because she grew up go. in Vietnam, yeah, where yeah, this yeah. would have just happened by right. Right, right, right. right. So she's in tears. I mean, I, I yeah. can't explain to you how, and I understood why she was upset, yeah. because she had had friends that had died. Was that where your head went? When, when you saw Not immediately at all, but then I said, I didn't even have time to react. We're right. talking, my mother's sobbing mm. on the phone mm. hysterically. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on, mom? Yeah. And she says, it's all over now. It's yeah. all happened. We're, we're, it's done. And I'm not kidding. In America, every mm. single person I talked to mm. on that day and thereafter had the exact same feeling. Yeah, yeah. We really felt oh my God, like we're about to have the biggest war we've ever had before. And that was also the case on this side of the Atlantic. Um, I was living in Spain at the time. My brother was working at a bank. It was lunchtime. 
he called the house and he said, turn the TV on. And my mother and I turned the TV on. We're just finishing lunch. And we just watched in absolute shock. And that was definitely something that was on my, on my mind. I was like, whoa, America is not going to react well. So and maybe the worst thing or the best thing, I don't know which one it really is, is that right afterwards, nothing happens. It right. Was, it was really strange because everybody was just waiting mm. for something to kick off. It's a bit like what happened recently when Donald Trump, you know, had the, the lead general of Iran killed. Mm. It was not, we didn't have that, it wasn't quite that feeling. I would say it was probably heavier when the Twin Towers went down that we were just waiting for news that it's, it's this all, is, yeah, we're bombing the, everyone. This is the country that's done it. Mm. We know it was them. We're mm. marching our troops up the day. Mm. And let me tell you, like this is some of the stuff that will filter in our discussion on Boeing for Columbine. Like that's the American way. Mm. I am a pacifist through or through and a leftist. But when country gets yeah. bombed, yeah, yeah. I'm just like any other American that says yeah. we have the biggest military in the world. And how dare you think... What are our tax dollars going for, if not for... It's not even tax dollars. It's a pride thing. You have to understand, I come from a country where every morning we get up and do a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. There is so much American pride, even in a guy like me, who doesn't agree with its politics right right, right, right right now. It's just, it's just in you. It's, it's inculcated. It's born into you. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. you're just indoctrinated. Yeah. I always say that the closest thing I've ever seen culturally to it is Sparta. Interesting. Because, you know, we don't... We certainly don't send our children out into the woods to do things, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know there just is that mentality. It's mm. like we are united as a country. Mm. I mean, people look at North Korea and kind of frown. Exactly. At some of the exactly. stuff. Exactly. So, there. You see, you know me so well. Huh. That is why I'm always so funny about people judging other countries because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the biggest country in the world, at least the one who <laughs> thinks it's the biggest right, country right. in the world. Yeah. You know, and walks around like that. Yeah. Like that's how we're trained. Yeah, like yeah. we are every day yeah. and Bowling for Columbine talks about this so then you have this year period after 9-11 where yeah. things just started getting crazy yeah. all of a sudden you know my best friend um, at the time mm. couldn't figure out what he wanted to do with life I don't know what possessed him to join the Marines I think he wanted to sort himself out mm. when he joins the Marines a lot of people did right after 9-11 I, th- I think it was a, a yeah big for where I come from I mean I'm from the, so I come from where if you ever want to google this you'll find a really interesting story I'm from the same county as Matt Maupin so Matt Maupin was someone who disappeared in the Iraq war mm-hmm. um, and there was a huge campaign to mm-hmm. give money to his family mm-hmm. and to remember the troops. Mm-hmm. You cannot go, you know, my stepfather regularly wears his Navy hat because you will be, you know, saluted. Yeah. People will shake your hand. Somebody bought him lunch last time we were out there. That's where I grew up, yeah, you know. Yeah. Military is a big part of life. Yeah. I was just never one of those people that was ever going to, I mean, at least that point in my life. It's very funny now. I would have loved to have gone in the military because I'm just a bit more active than I was back then. But back when I was in my 20s, I was an anarchist, yeah. so it was like the idea of someone sitting there and telling me what to do mm. uh, just was never going to happen, yeah. if I'm honest. So, sorry, speeding this up slightly, otherwise we'll be here all night. Um, <laughs> you had that year before 2002 when this yeah. is released where everything starts getting really dark. Mm. Like I'm Patriot ta- Act. Patriot Act, people burning books, you're not allowed yeah. to say things, yeah. you're not allowed to do things, yeah. they can stop and search you. Trip to Canada I was telling you about. Mm. Okay, I remember being in uh, Penn Station, which is right under, that's right underneath uh, in New York. It's mm-hmm. where I was taking the train through the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Some, I think six Sikhs, Sikhs, man. Right. Sikhs come sit down next to me, but they're wearing the full garb. You know, they yeah, got yeah, the headdress yeah. on. 
the amount of uh, you know armed policemen that mm. just entered the building at that time and mm. asked for all of their passports. I mean, Islamophobia to the max. It right? was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was only because it didn't exist before that. Right. It, it wasn't never. Really no a thing. one cared. You, yeah. my Islamic friends, my Muslim friends, my Arab friends mm-hmm. were like these rich, really culturally cool people. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah. like. And then I remember turning in college when I finally got to college to my friend Nas, who was. You know, she was a, a Muslim Indian, but mm. it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. The fact is, you know, this is where the racial bit gets in. I just looked at her and I was like, welcome to the club. Mm, because yeah. <laughs> if you were black, if you were Hispanic, yeah. you already had it happening to you. Never mind about the fact that I'm part Native American. Mm. You know, they got lumped in just the same as us. Right. And it was horrible. It yeah, was yeah. absolutely horrible because mm. they didn't have that before. They were mm. seen as an exotic culture. Almost the way that, that Americans look at the Chinese and look at, you know... East Asian cultures and say, ah, well, you know, they're not. They're yeah, not yeah, there's no kind of negative there's not connotation. Malice with that. Don't get me wrong, there was plenty of prejudice against the Chinese back in the right. day, but it's it's just different. It's yeah. not the, the way that your average suburban white person looks at a black person, and we're going to talk about it because it's in Bowling. I mean, this is, this is all so tied into Bowling. And that's why I'm leading you into it. So 2002 yeah. comes out, someone says to you, Hey man, bowling for Columbine. And your first reaction is, what the fuck is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what are you talking about bowling for Columbine? Columbine was horrible. What are yeah, you, why yeah. are you talking about? It's like, Michael Moore. I don't know who that is, mate. Yeah. Michael Moore has made this documentary. Mm-hmm. You need to go see it. Yeah. I don't really want to go to a movie theater to watch a documentary, mate. Right, like, right, right. It feels can we go odd. watch The Matrix or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. watch it at home or yeah. something. Is it really that important? Yeah. Mate, it's our voice. You yeah, have yeah, to go. Yeah. So you go. And you watch the two-hour thing, and that was it. It was mm. our voice. It was in a world that felt like it was turning upside down. Mm. That's why the Trump era hasn't scared me as much as it scared other people. I lived through the Bush era. It was mm. crazy. And then he was re-elected. Yeah. And we couldn't understand it. Yeah. Dixie Chicks said they didn't like the guy. People in my hometown burned their records in the middle of the street. Yeah. It looked like Hitler Youth all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is what I mean. Like you know, America has its dark side as well. And the one thing I think everyone forgets, because we had this wonderful era in the 90s where we were international peacekeepers, and then Obama comes along, and people are like, but you can be so nice. We are capable in my country of some of the greatest benevolence, and we have a huge military, so we can use that for good good and the powers that be, and to maintain peace around the world. However, we're also our own country. And so at times, this now being one of those times, we can completely switch the other way and put the guns out to everyone else and say, you know, if you don't understand this, piss off. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way Americans are. Mm -hmm. So that leading up, now we are Talking about guns. Yes. So so that's how we lead up to this. This is why it's such a big thing. Tell me a bit about this then. Um, So, like I said, for me, it opened my eyes to a lot of political issues it made me think about it made me come up with a stance for certain (laughs) things and certain things which arguably i don't really necessarily have any business commenting on like gun ownership Mm -hmm. um i'm not an american citizen i do not have any of the baggage or history attached to uh guns i like most boys i imagine had a fascination with guns and, mm-hmm. and violent uh, TV shows, movies. I used to buy, like, BB guns and, you know, pretend they were real and and all that kind of thing. And um, I think that Michael Moore here 
he starts out, uh, I mean, that great scene in the bank. So that's what we're going to do. So now we're launching into it. So production-wise, all you really know, there's Michael Moore here. I don't know who the camera guy was. I don't really know much more about this. It's his production company that does this, Dog yeah, Eat Dog. Yeah, Dog And he has some financing from quite a few other people. Strangely enough, if I've heard this correctly, and I haven't mm. fact-checked this, so correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. Michael Moore at one time was backed by Trump with a lot of money. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah, no, it, I can't remember what I was watching where they were talking about this. So this it, is where Trump kind of... It, just it, it's frust, frustrating because you know there's so much flip-flopping and you know it, it feels so and i know we're going to get into it but it feels so much like attention seeking you know it mm-hmm. feels like a child wanting attention mm-hmm. uh, whether it's democrats republicans the christian right mm-hmm. whoever it is he just wants people to throw adulation on him and tell him what a smart boy he is. Well, and I think... God, we're going to get so off topic on this podcast. <laughs> so talking about Donald Trump then, like, ugh, it's the same thing I'll say about Bush. I did say this during the era. I've always been this way, and it's because you know me to be... It's part of the reason I became a lawyer, but this is how I was before I was a lawyer. I'm a very middle-of-the-road person. Mm. We, we, we demonized George Bush Jr. Like, we just demonized him so much. And it was like... He's a person. Like, he's a normal person. He goes to the bathroom the same as you. He gets up the same as you. He may not have the same background as you, but mm. some of this stuff in his life probably sucks too. Mm. Like, it just so happens he ended up being leader of a country and making decisions that not a lot of people that I agree with would agree with. And that's absolutely right. And I think that but, the, the important thing to say there as well is that as much as, like, Obama was praised and loved, there were things that that administration did which I strongly exactly, disagreed you, with. You, and have to, you have to take a middle. I loved the, Obama, the reality, but that's right? because Obama spoke my politics and he didn't speak the politics of most of the people I grew up with. Right. So that's the problem is like people want to demonize it when it doesn't agree with their politics and that's mm. your first mistake. So can I ask you, have you ever owned a gun? Yes. You have? Yes. Okay. I don't think it was, I, I don't think I ever bought one myself, but okay. I have, you know, my, my stepfather has God knows how many guns in the okay. house. Um, Ohio is, you know, we have hunters in the backyard. Yeah, my mom yeah, yeah. used to shout at my mom. Just so you know, me growing up, Eddie's. It's funny. Ed was saying he played with guns. I wasn't allowed to play with guns growing up. Um, my mother is a, a staunch pacifist because she lost friends in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't even. I, you know, it had to be like a space Toy ray gun, gun right, right, right. and that was it. And yeah, she yeah. didn't even really want me with that. Yeah, interesting. So, and it's just funny. It, it's reminding me of she was basically chasing hunters off her backyard because <laughs> she hates them. Um, and my stepfather's like, they have a right to be there. So, mm. so I, I mean, hunting's a big thing in America, right? Like, so, the, yeah. So, I mean, this this is it. Now, now, you've made the very fair comment about gun ownership in America. I mean, you're sure you don't want to do the normal response that I hear around here, which is everybody telling us that we shouldn't have guns? You sure? I'm not going to make fun of you because I hear it every effing day. I think, I think honestly, it's, it's not really my business. Yeah. Because I'm not an American citizen. Exactly. And I think that's probably, again, not like I know it all either, but Second Amendment, right? Okay, it's a divided issue. And again, most things in America divide just like Brexit did over here. Mm -hmm. That's why there were so many parallels, 50-50. I don't know how it always ends up doing that, Mm -hmm. but we always seem to have 50-50. 
I don't, as I said, it doesn't make sense to me, but look at American history and you will see mm -hmm. there's always a divide right. about something. And we're very fiery. We're different from mm -hmm. other countries mm -hmm. that we believe in airing our grievances in front of each other. Right. That's why I'm always called so loud in front of by so many people right here. No, no bitterness there. <laughs> um, so anyways, my point being, gun ownership, it's not as simple as telling people they can't have guns. I agree. Okay, because a vast majority, uh, not a vast majority, see this is the problem, we, we speak with hyperbole like right. this all the time. Half of my country believes they have an inalienable in, right, inalienable right to right. own a gun, and they do. That's what people don't understand, it is in the Constitution, okay? Now, I'm like, Michael Moore uses this argument. He says it doesn't actually say anything about guns. It no. Says, it, it says arms. No, it does. And a well-regulated militia. No, but we have 200 years of history which have promoted the gun use. Not If you would have started and said in nine, you know, 1786, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 we didn't mean guns. <laughs> we meant something else. Right. And he had it back then. Yeah. Then I could understand that argument. Mm. But now it's unfortunately, and I'm going to sound really, really bitter here. It's like, this is how the left argues things. It's yeah. like, but you don't understand the semantics of this. Listen, I'm a really good effing lawyer, okay? Mm. And mm. I study law. The Constitution is based on law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's talking about guns, okay? We've had umpteen interpretations from the Supreme Court on that. Mm from district courts, from federal courts. My problem, I'm not making fun of you, yeah. Ed. I'm just saying, open a goddamn legal book, mm. okay? It will tell you that, yes, the Second Amendment is talking about guns. That's mm. why it's there. We could change that, but there are mechanisms in the Constitution for such change. It. It's yeah. how we had prohibition. So stop getting on your high horse, other countries, and people in my own country, and saying, this isn't an inalienable right. It's in the Bill of Rights. It is. But isn't isn't it the argument then that somebody says, well, you know, some things in the Bible. I mean, that was that was the law in the Bible. Yeah, and again, you're trying to make the same argument as a lawyer. You're uh -huh. trying to say, ah, but we're not governed in America by Leviticus. Mm -hmm. We're governed by the Constitution. The Constitution oh, uh, forms the basis mm -hmm. for every single law in the federal government. But indisputably based on judeo-christian moral sure ethics. but but the whole point from a legal perspective is mm -hmm. you've created it's the it's the the whole reason that i i, I will always tell you read walter bagshot the english constitution the mm. way you do it in england is probably better because it's not written down right you have royal prerogative Precedence you have well you just have practice that mm. changes over time right, you know right, right. you guys had the magna carta a thousand years ago yeah, yeah, yeah. principles from the magna carta still exist today in law right, right, right. but it adapts with the times the problem when we put it in writing it's what i've always told you about dogma mm. it's very unmalleable so right. yeah so going back to bowling for columbine yes let's get back onto it the reason this movie works for some of his other ones don't is this mm. was the first time he really does try to give you both sides of the story. As much as it may I not seem that, that way, yeah. because he he gives yeah. everyone the opportunity. And the reason it works so well is because when he gave those opportunities, because now we're going to skim through it and we're going to go back in a minute, but yeah. the, the easiest way to see the two parallel conversations in this film and why Michael won, what he said what he really wanted to say in the end, mm. was the interview with Marilyn Manson. Mm -hmm. Brian, he's mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. I miss you, dude. Um, and the interview with Charleston Heston. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I, I, I have my issues you with that c- one. You but. could cut down the entire film to those two interviews. Yeah. Because you're talking two sides of America. Mm-hmm, two mm-hmm. polarly yeah. different sides of America. Yeah. One sounds completely logical and legit. And the other sounds, I mean, miss ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Did he really? Just that I had forgotten he said that. And yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. I nearly threw something at my TV last night. Because I was like... Charleston Hudson, rest in peace, my good man. But did you really just say that on on a a film? That I think today, that is still something that would be said by a lot of people in your country. Yes. So race is another god, man. We're just not gonna. It's so. But the thing (laughs) is that these are all, and this is what's quite incredible about the film. So its central, its thesis seems to appear to be about gun control. And about the the Columbine uh, massacre, mm. but it folds in nine eleven. It folds in race relations. It folds in fear mongering. Which is, and to be fair, this is why people who didn't like this film, and it was few. I mean, there were a few critics of this film, not many. Mm. The critics of this film were like, it's all over the place. It doesn't tell a coherent story. I don't think that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that some of his other films are very much guilty of I that. think his most... The most recent one I saw, and I couldn't watch the whole thing because I was so disgusted by it. No offense, Michael. I said, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just think you're a great filmmaker and a great guy. So don't. This isn't a criticism yeah. of you. But I know you hate Donald Trump now, okay? But mm. Fahrenheit 11.9... I didn't see it. ...just goes a step too far. In two minutes... He gives you the um, basic premise of the film and you get the sense of irony that um, that emanates from it. Like, he's, he's very smart because he's playing a character, right? He's playing Joe Schlub, everyday man, I'm one of you guys, you know. And I think that's why he gets away with some of the things that he gets away with. And I think it's deeper than that. That's that's why I'm asking you. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this isn't designed, you know, I do this, but this isn't really designed to be like, correct you here. Mm-hmm. But he is an average guy. He comes from Flint, Michigan. Yes, certainly. Okay, so but, but he, I, I would say that he is not your average American because of his political opinions. And that's where that's why I thought we'd have this awesome discussion today because okay. I would argue and I'm arguing cuz God knows if I'm right or not. Uh-huh. He is an average American and that's okay. why he understands the issues so well. I think people who watch this on the outside sometimes put more into Michael Moore on this one. I think now he's a bit more as I said read his recent interviews because he's just been more and more burnt out over mm-hmm. the years on this. But back then when he's doing this video, mm. watch him in the barbershop. That's not irony, mate. He shoots guns. He yeah. He hunts. People in the Midwest, that's what yeah. we do. But like, he certainly, I would argue that he doesn't agree with the NRA. Mm. I mean, I think that he he's puts a, forward in the film. He's a member. Yeah. He's a lifetime right. member of the and NRA. And he puts that very front and, and center. So why would you be a lifetime member of the NRA? Because it's something you grew up in. It's like us being Catholics. It's... No. No. No? You, don't you wouldn't so? broadcast that. I, I don't know if I have a lifetime membership of the NRA. I was in the NRA for two years at least. Okay. It's a really good shot. Just like him. This is, uh-huh. That's why I like that part of the story. Because, uh-huh. you know, my I remember my grandfather had a fit when that happened. Because uh-huh. uh, my father and my step, my step-grandfather... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Bill, he's still with us. Love you, Bill. 
Um, he had the boom boom room, and he used to make his own shotgun shells and things wow. like that. And I was never into guns because my mother would, for, you know, forbid yeah, yeah. me from it. But this is after my parents split, so mom didn't have as much say at things. Right, right, right. So he started taking me out for target practice, BB mm. shooting and stuff like that. And mm. I was good at it. Mm. You know, why not? I like shooting things. Um, so yeah, for two years, three years, I was a member of the NRA. Up until my grandfather, my real grandfather, mm. Rapper Chereau, had a fit about it because mm. it was against his politics. And right. he said, no, you're not a gun And dog. so at no, at no point did you feel like... I disagree with the the politics of the NRA. I, but it wasn't I, really on I your radar. I don't disagree with gun ownership. That might come as a huge surprise to you, but mm. I do not disagree with gun ownership. Okay. I agree with responsible gun ownership. Okay. And I believe a lot so of... You were a member of the NRA. Yeah. That's <laughs> their, their motto. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. But in people who don't... This is why it's a very difficult conversation. Uh. It's It's like... It happens. When he goes to Canada, he's trying to show you this is responsible. People right. in Canada are gun crazy, right, but they have right, more right. guns. Yeah. That one guy, what do you have, like nine guns? Very true. Do you know what I mean? Like, And that's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make to you and, mm. and to other listeners who I think, uh, I, I thought this is how people would react. Mm. Like, he's not trying to say that gun ownership laws should go completely out. Right. He's not trying to say, let's do an English. Yeah, he's more measured, he isn't he? He gives the comparison, which mm. is important, because he's trying to say, however, look at Australia where gun ownership is illegal. Look at England, which is, you know, uh, not illegal, but restricted, highly mm. restricted gun ownership. And God, the statistics are scary just per capita and overall how many gun deaths they mm -hmm. have per year. And Canada is his big example of that, because he's like, people don't even freaking lock their doors in this yeah. place. Yeah. I mean, I... So one of the things that I I found interesting in doing a bit of uh, reading about you know the topic in general, mm. um, it, it is kind of the the fervent rejection of gun control, in the sense that uh, New Zealand had a mass shooting not that long ago. Mm -hmm. It was a school shooting, and I think the next day they banned. Uh, like assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons and you know and things like that and I'm not saying that, that that's the way to do it but it feels like that reaction is the appropriate reaction to a, a tragedy like and that and that's what I'm saying and, and that's people think that and that's meaning no offense whatsoever mm -hmm. but that you fundamentally don't understand American culture because Americans, I know he's mad, and I didn't mean not, to make him not, mad. I'm not mad. I, I just I, you're I waiting. Think... You're waiting for me to explain, and yeah. I will. Because Sandy Hook, okay, we had mm. a we had a primary. So Columbine is bad enough. Yeah, yeah. And man, you know the six year old shooting that happens in the in the, as well in yeah. Flint, Michigan. Like, and this is a thing, mate. This happens every day in America, mm. Mm. whether it's happening in schools or on the streets. Like, he is not wrong about the culture of fear. I went back home last summer, and we had three deaths in, in a week. That mm, I was there. It happened mm. over the weekend, and my wife. We couldn't even watch the news because they just bombard you with yeah, like yeah. you're gonna die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Sandy Hook. Yeah. I mean, you had children in a kindergarten that were killed. Mm. That would have been the point mm, where things, right. where the watershed moment came over. Because even politicians were saying that, saying, "Well, maybe we can't hold on this yeah, collectively yeah. as a country." We decided not to do that. I can't. I can't understand it. And that's what I mean. That's exactly what I just said. Because Americans, as much as we believe. Gun violence is terrible, will not restrict our ability to have guns because we see it as one of our inalienable rights. I would say, mm -hmm. and he goes into this a bit, now, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying history of violence stuff, even though I believe there's actually some truth to that where he doesn't think there is. because I like his point of there's violence in other countries. 
There is, but you don't have a 200-year history that is completely mired in bloodshed. I don't know, man. The British... I know that, you know, we live here and, like... In this country, there has not been an uprising since the William and Orange... Okay. That's 400 the, years. The massacres in India, the treatment of... Not your own soil. And that's the big... Fair. That's the big difference. Okay, Fair. Americans landed on whatever. I mean, that's mm. why that little cartoon gig he does is hilarious. Cause it's so... <laughs> I didn't know, but... Because um, I assumed that it was uh, Matt Stone and Trey Park, the South Park guys. Did you? I, I don't know who did it. It's you... not them. And uh, Trey Park was not happy about it. Why? Uh, because... He is, he's a gun owner. He he kind of disagrees to, to a certain degree with uh, with Michael Moore. And uh, that's why in uh, Team America, Michael Moore's in it. And he like explodes and he's made of ham. Yeah, there you go. So, you know. There I, you <laughs> go. So, and, and this is the thing. So, again, it, it's like you have to skim off the top of Bowling for Columbine, I think. And then you can really get into the cool parts of America and the things that most people don't, I would say, don't understand. Mm. There is a history of violence and it's a short history. Mm. But there's also, and I don't know how this happened, whether it was because you know the white people that decide to come over are Puritans at first. Mm. But everything is continuously assimilated with that original culture. Mm. It's ridiculous. I mean, Puritans, who would want to be a Puritan? But that is who starts everything out. They wipe out the natives. Mm. And and don't get me wrong, like that was all native land. Yeah, and yeah. let's try and get back to the film. Though. We are, we okay. are. So talking about that gun scene, yeah. and then the follow-up to that where he's in the barber shop with the guns, I yeah. think what he's trying to point out is that difference in America. Mm. That Americans, that's what we believe. Because then he goes, Michael Moore, and this is the film bit for you guys, his transitions are amazing. He will okay. always... Transition to my favorite one in Bowling for Columbine is the one where he goes from like some really horrible messaging to this is a great place to live. Yeah. Like he's good at that. He knows what he's doing with that. So he transitions from all the gun stuff mm. into reintroducing to the state militia where Timothy McVeigh yeah. comes from. Yeah. And Terry and Nichols. That's just after his montage about his childhood. And he's using the Beatles song as well. Correct. So he's trying to... Which, by the way, how much money did he spend on licensing uh, music? I don't know. That must be like half a budget. I was about to say, four million. Most of it would have been spent on this. Because this is filmed with a camera and him walking and talking to people. Documentaries, you don't pay the actors or anything like that. So... So yeah, so then he talks to the militia, and that's the next time. Like I think he's really trying to show you. I mean, do you understand... And and again, this is not me saying you're stupid. It's Mm. just... There's nothing that I know that exists around here like that. Do you know what the state militias are? I, I mean, again, from an outsider's perspective, knowing what I know, I, I would, I would say no. We don't really have anything. The, the closest that I can get to, and I think this is this is wrong. It's painting those people in in perhaps the wrong way. But is the EDL, the English Defence League... Oh, yeah, no, no, terrible. No, please, no. God, no, 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 guys. We don't... He just doesn't know. That's okay. No. <laughs> don't get me wrong. You could find people... Just like you'll find that people like that on the police force right, or, right. you know, people like that gravitate to positions of power. So yeah. that's, that's understandable. And I can mm. understand where you're going with that. So other fundamental misunderstandings about America for, you know, everybody else. And God, this is like, I told you, like... 50 states, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's states. 
they're like many countries. They yeah. all have their own constitution. They will all have their own legislator. The strangest one is, is Louisiana because Louisiana is an old Napoleonic state, so it has a French civil code as its, as its laws. It's very bizarre. Interesting. But each of them is different in its own way. Mm -hmm. People think because we all look alike from one end of the, end of the spectrum to the other that you have New York and you have California, but everything else is the same. No! Mm. 50 states, each with their own history as mm. well. Ohio, I grew up learning about Ohio history. It's all about pioneers and mm. people moving out there. But they all also had state militias because they are fierce about what's called state rights. Right. So the concept of state rights is that our constitution divides up laws into things that the government can do Federal. and things that the government can't do state. and that the state's supposed to do. Yeah. And that's a big deal in America. Mm. It's not a big deal anywhere else I've traveled in the world because mm. you're all called separatists if you do that somewhere mm. else. In my country, we we tolerate the separate separatism, I guess it would be, right. because it keeps the peace. Right. Because if we didn't have that, the 50 states would all start warring with each other. Texas would probably be first. No offense, Texas, but mm. you guys love your guns and you're very conservative. But that's my point. Like, And they're powerful states. They mm. know how much money they bring into the Americas. They right, know right. all these different things. And that's where those militias exist. Mm. They are there as protection that is guaranteed under the Constitution. Mm. Again, yeah, sounds crazy to most people. But to those people, it's an important history. It's an important... They're trying to tell you that in that. They're saying, no, we think people are crazy for not doing this. Now, I get to everyone outside of America. It's like... This is nuts. You guys are running Dude. around with rifles. But yeah. it's like having a National Guard. But it's more than a National Guard. It's a state militia. Did you not feel perhaps a little bit of commentary in the way he juxtaposed what they were talking about with the fact that the two children were were there whilst he was interviewing? When you mean when you, when you come up to the woman? Yeah. I think he's trying to, again, and this is just one person's interpretation of what he's doing. Mm. He's trying to, again, this was when I didn't feel like he was trying to tell you something other than this is America. Okay. Like you have literally a woman who's raising her child, mm -hmm. who's in the diaper in front of us, completely in camo gear. Right. Looks bizarre as shit to everyone else. So you don't think he was making a comment? No, I think he was trying to say, these are the people in America you don't see. Mm. These are the people you don't understand because you don't live anywhere near right. here, nor understand why they would do this. Mm. However, when you live in Flint, Michigan, mm. when you live in Cincinnati, Ohio, mm -hmm. when you live in the Midwest, like you get these people. They're yeah. not crazy. They just have a, a sense of things. Right. It's part of the same arguments that start coming out about the Confederate flag in the South. Mm -hmm. I'm less keen on those because I'm mixed race and because there's a even worse history that goes clear with that. Clear symbolic meaning. Yeah, to that clear flag. symbolic being like, guys, it was a bad idea to have slaves. Right, right, Anytime right, right. you put up a Confederate flag, to me, it's trying to say, well, it may not have been such a bad yeah. idea, and it's like, well, it was. It well, always whereas like fighting for your rights and for you know your concept of freedom these are laudable it, things laudable things yeah. exactly because they are the and they are the backbone of america yeah every american left or right believes in these things right you know we have a problem now with hate speech mm -hmm. in america the problem is the left won't ever want to get rid of that freedom of speech because that can turn on us right and i am a leftist that's why i say us uh -huh. you know just as quickly as it can turn on the right so you mm -hmm. can't you know, where I come from in Cincinnati, the KKK puts up a cross every Christmas. Jesus every man. single Christmas in the middle. They put up recruiting posters outside the high schools. So having to. lived in this country, is there any parallel that you can make 
<laughs> See, that's, and I love how you say that because that's why, please, and, and my dark-skinned friends who, who have treated, some of you have treated me like brethren, and other of you just think, where does this white guy keep thinking he's mixed? Uh. Um, when you cry racism and I give you a look, that's why. Because there is racism in this country, okay? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. talked about the EDL, yeah, yeah. and it is. It's just, it pales in so much comparison right, 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 right. to what people experience in the States. Yeah. It's yeah. just different. It's because the people mm. in the States are descendants of plantation slaves. Mm. I can't explain to you what that's like to like finally have... I don't know when I first found out about my... So Fanny DuPont is one of my ancient ancestors. She comes from Mississippi Plantation. Mm. And then you like... It, I guess it must be like Jews reading about the Holocaust. Like Then you see where you're, like, your ancestors Connected lived. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah, like yeah, We yeah. were subjugated mm. for a hundred years doing this. Yeah. Like... And no one has really ever apologized. Right. It was like, well, we fought a war, you won, too bad. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's over now. And yeah. it's like, it's not over. Yeah. You know, that entire group of people still live in abject poverty, are yeah. still looked at right, as right, a right. second-class citizen, right. same as Hispanics. Yeah, and in that cartoon, I think it was very poignant uh, when he talks about the fact that the KKK was outlawed in this year, and that was the same year that the NRA... Hence probably why my grandfather was furious about the NRA membership. And then you have like... He would have uh, been third generation mixed race. uh, uh, You know, passing of bills that prohibited black people from owning guns. That sequence is very similar to another documentary. If you liked Bowling for Columbine, watch the newer documentary called... Oh, this is going to sound horrible because I'm American. I'm supposed to know my amendments. It's either called 13th or 14th. 13th. It has to do with the amendment that... Abaduvanay. And it's amazing because it explains to you that we never really got rid of slavery. Yeah. We just played with it a bit. Right, right, right. And, you know, the thing is, I, I, part of me, the middle ground part of me, the lawyer part of me says, this is all incredibly clever stuff that happens. Mm. It's horrible and it's evil mm. to an extent, but mm. it also is incredibly intelligent. It's, it's, you know, to me, it's why the alt-right has become as popular as it has, because mm. they've learned to say their message in a way that skims around the corners right. of getting them into trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you can be as mad as you want to that, but I'm the kind of person that says you got to fight fire with fire. And at the moment, we're not doing that. Free speech, right? I mean... Well, yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to be a hate monger like they are, but it does mean you have to, instead of saying, like, it's not fair, right. which is what I feel right now, we live in a world well, don't where let don't, talk. Don't, don't let, let them talk. Don't let them talk. God, we are so off topic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we are. I mean, this, is, this is always going to be the case with this film. <laughs> Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. But, yeah. So, getting back to Bowling for Columbine. So yeah. Then we have the, the stuff about the militia. Yeah. Um, what comes after that, Ed? Do you want me to look it up? Yeah. it's Isn't it the, isn't it the cartoon? The... The cartoon. So yeah, what I mean, what did you feel about the overall message of the cartoon? Um, I I I thought so when I was young. I was like, oh my god, it's all so incredible. Like, I think now I'm I'm a little bit. I I don't want to say that it's partisan or that it is perhaps, um, you know very one-sided mm-hmm. um, but it feels like and, and this is what I wonder if the legacy of this kind of film um, you know you get these videos or things on social media which are oh and in 1975 this happened and it kind of gives you a little pseudo explanation with some facts 
which is supposed to, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, that part is revelating because mm. um, we're both Hispanic. Mm. And it's like, uh, so basically you're saying, and this is, there is a lot of truth. Is that the, the high school I went to went to the School of America to try to get it shut down. Mm. They sent, you know, we had students and teachers who went to, like, try to get it shut down for mm. all the horrible things it did mm. in South America. However, mm. <laughs> and this is a big however, because it's still... God knows I do business in this region, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in my day job. And it's like, this is a region that has it against America big time because mm. we somehow on the left decided to say that all the woes of South America were because we put these dictators in charge. Because we, you know, as America, let this happen. Mm. That's half the story. Right. Like, you it's know what I mean? Like, he's watching my face like, okay, like... Yeah. I get it. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. And definitely yeah. when we were in our 20s, you know, the revolution, yeah. we're both putting our fists up in the air, you know, like, yeah, we're, we get it. Yeah. We were all about the left. And I do think communism was a thing that would have been beautiful in South America because it would have worked better down there than it worked in other places. However, like that wasn't all America. Pinochet and what his what his regime did. It wasn't mm. just Americans. Right. There were plenty of people. The the Contras, they're Contras. Yes, they're trained by us, but they shoot their own people. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Things like that. And that's why going back to the cartoon, there are two sides to that story. Because right. what that does, and the problem I have these days, is that takes white people, Puritans, mm. and it just makes this blanket comment about, yeah. like, they all did this. Right, right, right. And it's it, certainly it how, feels one-sided. And it certainly is how a minority feels. You're like, yeah, yeah. you know, the amount of times, and this is really funny because I'm actually like 60% white and 40% mixed, like, or 40% everything else. Like, so I'm pretty much a white guy, but I find myself talking about the white man mm. and it's so conflicting because I'm like... I'm the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you're like, oh, that white guy does that. I do those things because right, I'm right. a white guy, you know? Like, damn white people. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. bring yeah. me my tea. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to me, obviously... You know, my father was from El Salvador, and yeah. uh, you know he left just before war broke out. Ojalá. Um, and you know, like it, it was also—it's funny because this was probably the time when I came to grips a little bit with my kind of Latin American identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Is it's this... also when I learned about you know the FMLN. The, the you know the political groups the the stealing of children mm -hmm. to put guns in their hands and um, so you know it was in a sense it was preaching to the choir mm -hmm. because I was there already right you're right it was in our twenties well, that was us man we and were, we're Hispanic, like, that's so right yeah. that's truth you know we we were put the put the yeah. beret on us give us the gun yeah. we'll go mate we'll but do I, I do think that there are certain things that can't be ignored such as you know the kkk being uh you know made illegal and then the nra popping up and kkk is not illegal anymore that's the funniest thing is it not of course not kkk can meet when they want yeah i did not freedom know of speech yeah dude he goes the guy was on jerry springer hmm. grand wizard whatever his name is Completely legal in the states, right? And didn't didn't one of one of them? Like, That's the other thing I found that comment really weird. I was like, yeah. uh, but the KKK is legal now. Yeah. Like they're all over the. It's also at the cultural elements, like uh... and see those bits. And sorry, I'm just always so talky about this stuff because it's talking about my country, I guess, mm -hmm. but. Those bits are the best bits, I think, because that's where it's easy for everyone to see where he's trying to be right. even-handed, but pointing out mm. some of the things that don't make sense. This is where I think he starts stepping outside of American culture to point out from a third-person observation. Right. So 
the comment he makes to the guy at Lockheed Martin, he says, this is where Bowling for Colin, this is where Columbine happened. He's like, yeah, it is. And he's like, do you have any idea why these boys would do this? And he's like, I guess they have anger issues. And then he does the corporate white guy thing and says, we gave 100000 for this. It, right. You know, don't, that's the thing. Don't boo at that because it's like, that's a nice thing to do. But then, you know, and he acknowledges that, but then he follows up with the very obvious point that everyone in the room is missing. Mm. All the Americans will miss. Mm. Wait, but you guys send bombs to other countries. Right. Like, don't you think that might have at least a small effect on the way these kids think? Yeah. Because Michael Moore is talking big, big picture. Yeah. He's not trying to say, and the problem is the corporate guy has no idea. He's mm. like, no, we didn't tell him to do that. Mm, right. And he's being completely honest. Yeah, like, it's, it's his perspective. That's the thing, don't on... shit on that guy. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just a corporate goon, but he's a corporate spokesperson that's been rolled out, yeah. likes his job, probably has a wonderful wife and kid. Yeah. You know, nice house with a nice. That's the way it is. You know, you just want to get on with your life, right? You know, this is where the Marilyn Manson interview happens. I think. I think shortly thereafter, because obviously Marilyn Manson was, and and this is another thing he's completely right about. God knows he was blamed for everything. Mm. It was horrible, and most people didn't even speak to him. Like there's so few interviews because. You know, Marilyn Manson is a shock horror guy. Yeah. Like, he doesn't appear to do normal... He doesn't do normal interviews. He does his shock horror thing because he's made all of his money mm. off being Marilyn Manson, not yeah, off of yeah. being Brian, right. who sits there and says, hi. Yeah. You know, like, he's an incredibly intelligent he's guy. so smart. Like, he, 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 he lays it out brilliantly. He talks about, you know, who... Who, you know, the day before Columbine happened was we dropped the most bombs on Kosovo. And he's like, who's more of an influence, Marilyn Manson or the president? You know, and uh, I mean, it's an argument. It's it, you can't argue with that. No, and, and and it's another great juxtaposition though, because obviously you've seen the militia on the right then, because those will be conservative people. Like yeah. you know, a liberal person is not going to sit around and protect the country with a gun. It's just not doesn't normally play into leftist politics that much. But Marilyn Manson is the extreme on the left that the right misunderstands. Yeah. They see him and they think devil-worshipping crazy guy. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a, he's a Satanist yeah. um, in the purest sense of the form. So you need to look that up because I'm not going to explain it on, on the air. But mm. he doesn't worship the devil. He doesn't worship anything. That's the whole point of being a Satanist. Uh, my favorite thing that um, Marilyn Manson probably said, though, was when he said, uh, Michael Moore says, what, what would you have told the kids if you'd have had the chance? And Marilyn Manson turns around and said, I wouldn't have said anything. I'd have listened. Yeah. Which is probably what no one did. Yeah. It's exactly what no one did. And and that's that's youth. And and God knows that's still a problem now. Yeah. It's his problem over here as well. Yeah. But, you know, he's trying to point, you know, the, the, the sequel to Bowling for Columbine, it probably came out beforehand. But the sequel to me would be American Beauty because that's where it's trying to talk about. Oh, there's a reason you call the suburbs plasticine. It's mm. not just that it looks plasticine; it feels that way. Mm. No one really talks to one another. Mm-hmm. No one really. You're not. There's a, a a status quo that you cannot go outside of. And if you do, then you're either not going to stay in the suburbs anymore, or you're going to be right. the, the weird guy on the block. Right. Like ostracized. Exactly. And the problem is when you're a teenager, you're always feel like the weird guy on the block. And so, yeah, the things that happen to teenagers in the suburbs are pretty grim. Mm. You know, out of, let's see, you know, I wrote a book about this a long time ago. You wrote a book? Yeah, called Dead Friends. Um, God knows where it is now because I only hand wrote it and someone stole that journal. Oh, I know. I'll write it again someday. But it was about the six kids I grew up with. I was a misfit growing up. Mm. Um, as I said, once my parents got divorced, I became a real misfit. That's when me and Marilyn Manson became such great friends, at least musically. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was listening to all his albums. But, 
you know, it, I hung out at that age with all the kids that were ostracized. Right. And it wasn't everybody. Mm. Like, there were plenty of kids that just towed the line and you get along with everybody. So did you, I mean, re-watching this film, or maybe when you first saw it, did you kind of identify with the, with the shooters? Yes. Um, not in a way that I want the FBI or the uh, no, no, or MI5 coming after me. I'm yeah. older now. Um, Wiser. But let me... Okay, we'll go into that because, in God knows, I'm sorry for talking this much, but I do have a lot to say about no, this no, movie. It's, it's fascinating. So you're talking to the kid with the backwards hat, right, when they go to... You're, these are, those are as, as typical two people, two young guys. Oh, yeah, the anarchist cookbook and the guy with the and bandana we'll get into that right yeah, so the bandana guy first of all both of those guys are lying through their ass through most of that interview oh, really? they're really trying to show up and seem cool because they're on okay. TV uh, like it's obvious yeah. and like if you know those guys you would know exactly that guy I don't know maybe he does go in Detroit trying to sell weapons to people but I'm pretty sure he doesn't I'm okay. pretty sure he just wants people to think that's what he does right. you know you're talking to a bullshit artist yourself so you know what I mean like I, I've run stories on people that they've been like you know they've been completely untrue and everybody's yeah. just like out here people are just so trusting um, <laughs> so but then you have the other guy and he's like oh, I was uh, number two the first yeah. reason you can tell he's lying is he says I was number two or number three on this list yeah, there yeah. was no list yeah, like he's making that up but yeah. He wants to let you know that he's troubled and that he knows about this. Now, I had a whole crew of guys that were like that. Yeah. And they all look just like that. He's mm. not cool. He has that dirt stash. Mm. No one in that era ever had a mustache like that. <laughs> he's overweight and has a backwards hat. Mm. And he's at an arcade. Yeah. So, you know, this kid is is maligned. Like, he's just not going to have many friends. People will talk mass shit about him. And that's the worst bit. It's not so much not having the friends, it's the fact that people go out of their way in American society to make you feel bad in high school. Mm. That's how we, we set things up. And mm. I'm not saying you can change it. Maybe all high schools are like that. I have, my daughter has not gone through British mm. you know British high school, so mm. I'll see if it's But the you, same. you it was very much like that for you. Yeah, for, you grade, for me it was grade school. Because by the time I went to high school, I had a, a very wonderful experience of going to St. Xavier High School, Jesuit school, and I will hail them to the end of the world. They... It was almost like being in the military. They okay. say, you're all smart. That's why you came here. But you're all different. So you all better like each other. Mm. You're Christians first. Then you're, then you're whatever else you are. You yeah, are. Yeah. We were, you know, the title is men for others. Yeah, which yeah. was appropriate because we were the privileged intelligent kids. Was it an all boys school? Tuition. Yeah, all boys school. Tuition very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, was it the five tuition expensive all boys schools in Cincinnati? Mm. It's the one you have to test to get into. Right, right. So, right. no one there, everyone there. And so, it's a different thing. It's not your average high school. No, it was, I mean, it, from, from, from the day I was picked on it is where I always wanted to go because it ended up being exactly what I wanted it to be. It right. was this place that could care less that I was a bit weird. Right. You know, I used to sit next to Computer Charles. This is the kid who fainted when they showed STDs and whatever. <laughs> but you put a computer in front of this kid yeah, and he yeah. could do amazing things. Wow, yeah. And we just all respected one another for that. Right. Not to say I wasn't picked on in high school. I was, but not to the extent that I ever was in grade school. Mm. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell so about so that you get the dead friend thing, right? So there were, there were six of us. There was... And I won't say their names. There was Bing. There was Hayes. There was Alex. There was Shelley. And who was the other? There was a fifth. The fifth is the one that gets me in trouble. So the fifth was, and I can't remember this kid's name now and what his nickname was. It's because he wasn't part of the group after this this incident happened. So anyways, mm. back in those days, I was very good with computers, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's all I ever say because I'm being recorded. 
but I was very good with computers. Um, one of my strong points. And I did a lot of things I probably shouldn't have with computers back then. Um, and so we're learned... talking like late 90s? Late 90s, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, the book is funny. I went to Barnes Noble. I think I've said this in the podcast before. I went to Barnes Noble when I was like 12 and bought this book called Secrets of a Super Hacker. And let me tell you, like, it was a manual to destruction. Like, Jesus. it literally had, like, plans on how to do everything. Like, I learned so much that I never used um, <laughs> about how to... It had this thing about how you can disassemble. Back when the library... You remember the library used to have those little light scanners? Yeah, yeah. They were so cool. You can reroute those to pick up all sorts of information about people at a library. Wow. And I mean, yeah. So lots of stuff happened. Yeah. And this was my misfit day. So mm. I was like that guy with the backwards hat. I had the dirt stash. I had the backwards hat. I even had these little moon glasses yeah. that I used to wear. Or sunglasses I used to always wear everywhere. Yeah. And I used to wear Bajas, if you remember. You've got to find if, a picture of this. I have one. I have it, one at my house. On yeah, I have one at my house someday. But I have. A, <laughs> I used to wear Bajas. These were these things in the 90s that you wore. And they were the coolest things ever because it was like a sweatshirt. But it yeah. Yeah, wasn't yeah. they always smelled funky so it was me these these four other kids and what was that kid's name i don't remember the guy's name he got kicked out of the group because so this was in grade school yes okay. so we've got bing and bing and, and hayes are both boys alex yeah. and shelly are girls we're all the all black wearing who cares you know alex was the one that got kind from, of a little bit trench coat mafia definitely. That's, definitely that's what i'm saying yeah. so you would have De- been identified definitely as... no one talked to us right, like right, no one right, we didn't right. want anybody to talk to us some yeah. of them were worse than us we all smoked like yeah, that was yeah. what I that's when i started smoking at like 12 and i remember that was like that's so like bad. that's no it's just yeah it's so defining like you become that guy that steals cigarettes from everywhere and smokes <laughs> and it's like it's horrible it's yeah. i look at it now like what a little shit you were back then <laughs> so you have that and then the the sixth kid who as i said he's just gonna go nameless because i can't remember I, and i don't god knows it's written in this little thing and i won't have his name anymore so i just have to create his name again um but he came to my house all the boys came over to my house girls didn't come over to my house that's mm. another long story but mm. boys always came over to my house my house was one of the safe houses because mm. my mom is a hippie and right, she was always cool. believed yeah, it's not like she wanted anyone to get up to anything bad, but my mother no, always more liberal, my more... mother always believed children were safer in a house right. than out on the street. Right. And so she was the kind of mom that said, Everybody come here, you don't leave tonight, but mm. you know, I'm not coming downstairs, so just don't get your don't get the cops called. Right. You know? Right. And we didn't do anything. I mean I, that was before the air we would smoke cigarettes. Yeah. But that was before the air I was drinking or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had all sorts of stuff on my computer yeah. that the guys just went gaga for because it was like this. And I had a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook. Now, right. the thing you have to know about copies of the Anarchist Cookbook, okay? Mm-hmm. You used to be able to get them off sites called Whereas. Mm-hmm. And this is a really long explanation, so I apologize. But you used to be able to get them off things like Whereas. It'd be downloadable sites. This was before you had to worry about viruses and things like that because they weren't quite as advanced as they are now. Yeah. Um, you would pick this up, but the thing that would happen, and it was deliberate, is the guys who would put the copies of this on the internet would change the formulas. So the formula for like napalm or the formula for a bomb was wrong. Okay. And so it either would make it so you would get a dud or you would make something that was horribly more powerful than it was supposed to be. Yikes. Now, testament, and I'm no lie here. God knows I, I say a lot of two truths on the, on the air. No lie, I never in my life created a bomb. It's not something I ever wanted to do. I was into all sorts of other mischief as far as getting information from people and doing things like that. But God knows, 
I never thought, God, I want to make a bomb. Was guns any part of like your? Again, group's... I was in. No, the group never, never to my knowledge. Mm. Like I can't talk about what they did when they weren't with me. Mm. I was in the NRA at the time, yeah. so I had some. In, you know, I was around guns, but yeah. that was only ever at a like on a shooting a range. range. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? It was never the idea of carrying one. My we're still living in my mother's mother's house. This yeah, is yeah. before we moved into like the the farm yeah. where we got all the guns. Cause my stepfather moved all the guns into the right, farm. Right, but right, right. you know, my house in the suburbs, we never had a gun. Okay. Like there was no guns anywhere near there. Mm-hmm. So, one of the kids, the kid I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. I gave them all. This is back in the day of floppy disks, guy. Mm-hmm. I gave them a floppy disk and I said, "Here's the stuff. You guys can have it on your own computers." Mm-hmm. But this moron goes to the local high school and starts printing out copies of the anarchist cookbook on a copier. And I never saw the kid again because his mother called my mom and was like, he will never go over to that house again. And I just didn't like the connotation that gave me. I'm like, dude, I'm just someone who's smart trying to figure out smart things to do. I don't want to make a bomb. Like that's, if you met me, that would have been obvious, you know, like I'm just not into that kind of thing. So, so how do you feel about just the idea that that kind of thing is available to young people is that should should that be restricted? Well, I, no. I guess okay. my point with the story because I, I was hard to figure that out, wasn't it, listener? Because you're like he started with one thing. My, I'm fascinated by this. My, I think it's so my point with dead friends. Yeah. Bing went to jail. Yeah. After he beat his mom, mm-hmm. and now he's out. He did acid for a long time. He's nowhere with his life. Okay. Um. What happened to Hayes? Hayes, I think, is okay. Mm. His mom died. He was he like lived with his mom for a very long time, and his mom died. I think he ended up being all right, but he struggled mm. in his twenties with drugs, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Shelley's dead. Mm. Alex could be dead. Mm. I don't know. Last time I saw her was a very long time ago, and she mm. wasn't in a good spot. Mm. Other kid that got out of the group, alive and well, and probably a CEO somewhere. Mm. Um. So that's it, man. Like, you get ostracized in the suburbs, it doesn't end well for you. It never really? does. No. So you don't agree with M- Matt Stone and his whole, like, I wish somebody would have told these kids that in a year no one's going to care about high school. Because you, some you disagree people, with that? Because some people don't leave their hometowns. Interesting. Okay. Some, when I go back to Cincinnati, the mm. same shit's happening that was happening there 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same jerks, same nice people, yeah, same yeah. whatever, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, I think, that's where celebrity gets to them. Because okay. they think, oh, don't worry about it, man. You can be famous someday. You can if you leave. Right, right. But there right. are a lot of people that never leave. America yeah, yeah. is not a place. There are plenty of Americans who do pick up sticks, but in that amount, again, a 50-50 country... There's probably just as many that. So that how end do up right your like, you know, how do your friends take your journey of like, you know, obviously you, you know, you go to California, you end up in South Korea, you marry an English woman and end up in England. It's, that's like, it's a really good. How do you think they react? I mean, it must be like. Whoa! I could never imagine anything like that. And he's smiling while he says this. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Okay. I have very few friends from my hometown anymore. Okay. And most of them that know me think I'm a pretentious dick from London. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I am. Um, and that's partially me. I'm a person and that's, that's partially true. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, I am a dick. But, you know, I, it's, it's weird. It's, it's so the, they don't, they don't, they don't really know me anymore. So I come but home. But do they, do they look at it as like, 
something to aspire to or like something to envy? It depends. It depends on the context of where you're putting this in. Okay. So if you put it in like high school reunion, which I always get invited to, I never go. Mm. Um, I, I never go. But you know, I could reasons. go and do a speech, and they would be like, "Here's Jason. He made good with his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, still one of the only guys that ever won the state mock trial competition after yeah. 20 years of having mock trial. Uh-huh. Like they would have me do that." And my friends at X, at St. X, would be a bit different. I don't keep in touch with them as much. I know I'm on Mm -hmm. Facebook. It's probably the only way. Those are probably the nicest ones I know. But when it comes to, like, where I grew up, because my, you may not know this, but the school I went to was 45 minutes from where I lived. Completely different area of town. Filtered in kids from all over the place. Cincinnati's a fairly big city, right? Like, Ish, yeah. It's it's how, how big? It's a big little city. I I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to, like, Google it. Because Littleton is... Tiny. Tiny. Yeah, yeah, and understand like it's a suburb though of Denver, right? So that's, that's true. exactly right. like kind of how I grew up. Right, I grew right, up in right. a suburb of Cincinnati. Right. I didn't grow up in the city. Gotcha, gotcha. So I grew up in Anderson Township, is the name of the place I grew up. My mom now lives in what's called Claremont County in Eastgate. Mm. So that's um like the two towns. Yeah, I mean, I, I, personally, I think that's all absolutely fascinating. <laughs> no, and, uh, and that was part of me. That's why I ended up on the path I did. So yeah, for yeah. me, you know, I still just. It felt very out of place where I grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing I did that really ever changed my perspective. Actually, probably the first first thing I ever did, my stepmother constantly took me to California. Mm. So she was in fashion. She still mm. is to mm. a certain extent. Um, she's awesome. Love you, Janie. Um, and she just got me. Like, mm. me and her have been peas in a pod since we met because she gets that artistic So side. do you think that had these young boys, uh, you know, got a chance to travel and see the world a bit, you think that might have... I'm going to say no. Like, this is the problem. Like, it depends if they were people that would have been susceptible to that. Right. I was. So yeah, I was yeah. pulled out of... I can remember the transition from leaving my dead friends, as I call them, yeah, yeah, yeah. and going on to X, and going on to travel the world, and leaving right, right. everything behind. Yeah. And I took people with me. Like, I had friends in X that were like me. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I think of a guy named Alex Weber, who now lives in L.A., and, like... He's, he's this really cool kid I used to drive in the school yeah. and he used to come in with these awesome mixtapes of like the weirdest electronic mm. music you'd ever heard and I was one of the few people that enjoyed that because I had a production studio and I made mm. my own music mm. so and he just was a weird kid I, later turned out that he was homosexual and that was mm. part of the reason he felt so out of place because where we grew up it was not Taboo. you know we had as yeah. I said three gay guys at the school and they were all in drama that's yeah. you, you got mad at me for saying what I said yeah, which yeah. I won't say on the air guys because I, I know I'm sorry it's not a very nice thing to say but that was the joke like there was the three of them they, they, they were the ones that were open they were out and we didn't have a problem with it in all boys school I mean that's pretty amazing though because we're talking I mean aren't these the two I forget their names. It's like um, the the shooters in Columbine, but they're our generation, aren't they? They gra- they would have graduated in nineteen ninety nine, like two thousand. Yeah, so they would have been two years ahead of. For me, they were two years ahead of me. So nineteen, I graduated two thousand one. So they I graduated two thousand. So they they'd have been like a year ahead of me. That's right. So I mean peers, right? And it and just this, it just this... blo- it, it it kind of blows my mind, and and uh, you know inevitably you do a little bit of. Like, oh, what could have been done differently, you know? Is is it an inevitability? I mean, Sandy Hook happened. I think, and I, and I guess we're, we're all, like, coinciding. And unfortunately, this this went from being, like, a film discussion to a discussion about the points being made in Bellin for Collins. We apologize in advance, but hopefully yeah. you're still with us. And we offer a bit of variety on the show, that's exactly, all. Exactly, exactly. You know? We might have to make it a two-parter. Variety but... is the spice of life. Yes. So... 
that's what I think Michael Moore... I'm not even sure he was sure he was showing it. But that's what mm. he's trying to, like, get at without understanding that he's getting at it, in mm. my point. Mm. America is the way it is, mm. and it has its pitfalls. Yeah. One of them is what happened to these kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will be ostracized because of the world he is telling you around them. Yeah. The constant fear that doesn't just exist for minorities. That's yeah, the only yeah, thing yeah. he kind of missed. Like... Another perfect example, okay? Some guy, when I was in my... I went through my entire freshman year of high school wearing nothing but all black. Again, yeah. I was very upset about my parents' divorce. I'm very upset at the yeah. world. It's just my it's reaction. Way. It's yeah. the kind of thing I do. Okay? All black, baby. So I had a kid on the last day of school from my hometown, from Anderson Township. He came up to me and says, I will pay you 20 bucks to show up with khakis and a, and a collared shirt. Just mm. please. Mm. I just want to see what you look like. And I could give a shit. I was like okay if it means that much to you and he's mm. like yeah just a white shirt i'll give you 20 bucks tomorrow so i took the 20 bucks mm. i dressed in that that summer was the summer i made friends with all the people in my hometown that had ostracized me most of my life interesting all of a sudden i was cool i was okay i was because you'd chosen to kind of fit in yes because I wasn't so deliberately being right. angst against right. everything. I went back to being the punk rocker. And the benefit was, I already had the misfriends now. So now they finally kind of got me. That I wasn't mm. always trying to be difficult. Right. I was just right. me. That I just, I was very expressionist. I mean, again, that, but it goes, it goes to show that, I mean, these kids had they... And that's you what know. teenagers go through. Teenagers yeah. want to stand out. Teenagers want to self-identify themselves. Yeah. The problem in America is we create a culture where it is not conducive to you listen i come from a mixed race family i'm very sorry about saying this on the air dad but i come from a mixed race family that deliberately hides the color of our skin yeah, because yeah. it made it easier for us to fit into certain society in yeah, certain yeah. circles my father was the same it's, my father it's was horrible was, my father was you are not el salvadorian yeah i mean you're, I, you're and, and don't get me wrong like i'm not knocking my grandparents decision to do that i'm not knocking my father like mm. it's it's the way it is but it horrifies me that that's even a thought mm, yeah. but it is what it is you yeah, get yeah. older and you realize your parents were just trying to look out for you they yeah. just didn't want you to have to suffer the way that they did yeah. and so that's what I mean that's not just a race thing in America that's a conformity issue in America mm. but it's funny because both of us having lived in Asia where that sense of conformity is perhaps more obvious yes uh, you know, there's that famous saying in, I think it's in Japan, which is when a nail sticks out, hammer it down. Yes. You know, uh, but to, to, to kind of so know that, especially from the land of the free, you know, that so many people aspire that's right. to. So the, as, I mean, the first thing that freaks me out about this country is yeah. when I went to my first, excuse me, my first neighborhood. Yeah. And all the houses were different. That's not right. So what do you mean? You got all these tiny houses. They all have different like shapes and colors and sizes. And then I met English people. And then the funniest thing, TV. You put ugly people on TV. I was like, what is going on here? So that person's hideous. What are they doing on TV? Big brother. I was like, what is this? Like these are normal ass people. Like we don't put normal people on TV. Michael Fish telling the the weather news. You don't put normal people on TV in America. Look at our reality shows. Those are beautiful people still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're tantastic. Yeah. So that's my point is like that exists in America Mm. and it's a big problem. And it's a bigger problem I think than even Michael Moore realizes because it still exists today. It's still causing ultimately a sharp divide because of 
you know, the, the politics have gotten worse, yeah. not better. And I think that's the problem is all of this, I think, stems out of when America found its footing at the end of the Second World War mm. and started having that kind of conformity as a right of growth and as a right of making the country better. And to a certain extent, it works. Right. To another extent, it's what creates this pressure cooker where minorities... People like you know people like the the trench coat mafia, mm. where people feel maligned and they have to do something about it because there is no escape. Yeah, my escape. Where am I now? I'm a thousand miles right. from my you home, and to I run. and I and I you know I did it even in the Bush era. That's where I ended yeah. up in Spain. Yeah. So that's my point is like you either and you know I have a, an American friend out here that you know we're, we're very much similar that we don't agree with American politics and so. I'm not saying it's the reason I stay away, but I'm saying it's easier here than it was back home. But it is very, it's very interesting. This film feels prescient to a certain degree. Mm. It feels like it, uh, Jason just spilled green tea all down himself. <laughs> it wasn't prescient at all. You could have no, told me I was about to do that. <laughs> but it, it feels very like, you know, highlighting things that, we should have paid attention to and we didn't that's always the way though that's hindsight i mean it's it is it, it is, right. it is interesting to me that we're watching we watch scott pilgrim which we're like god that's the indie movement before it was the indie movement. yeah that's, it's that's, ahead of its time those are hipsters before there were hipsters really mm. right mm. and now we're talking about you know bowling for columbine like god like if only we'd known like i worry mm. That we could be saying the same thing 10 years from now. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, it's been almost 20 years since this film came out. Well, because because our current solution is still going back to the problems of Bowling for Columbine. Again, I guess my thesis on all of this, because yeah. I have been very much been making a thesis, and I apologize. <laughs> but I'm a lawyer, and I'm entitled to do it on my podcast if I want to. Our podcasts. And Eddie puts up with it because he's like, well... Um, <laughs> thesis is this. You know, what the problem is, is the continuity to push in both directions to create the pressure cooker. Mm. It's division in America that creates mm. this violence. Mm. It has nothing to do with really, in my view, anything really else. Mm. We're historically going to be this way. Mm. And the only way to solve those types of problems is by bringing people back to the center. Mm. That is why you haven't had, you know, riots in a Brexit England. Because Brexit's happened now, Ed. Why haven't you gone out there and thrown something at the Tories? I mean, I wanted to. You did, but but you didn't. It was, and rain, now, it was raining. And so. now today I was noticing myself seeing like Brexit EU talks and I was like, yes, yeah, stick it to the EU. Because I was like, you know what, we're out now. Like, I'm not going to sit there and kowtow. But regardless how you feel, no one's going to pick up a gun and get someone else in this country and go that way. And I fear, again, because this is the culture I come from, that we are becoming dangerously close to that in America. Do you think it's unsustainable? Do you think that... I mean, could could we be talking about, I, like, open warfare? No. See, that's what I mean. I think that's what people want us to think. Okay. I think that's the fear culture. Mm. I think it's never as bad as that. Mm. One of the greater articles I read uh, about Trump, actually, was about the fact that if the left really wants to win this election, they're going to have to admit they were wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> And Eddie's like, what are you talking about? Okay, so we killed the top general in Iran, and mm. we were supposed to go to war like, yeah. the next day. Yeah. What war? 
It didn't happen. We were supposed to be at war with North Korea. Mm. What war? Mm. Life goes on. And the way an American interpretate, interpretates, interpretates, that is an American word, because we love to do stuff like that, strategery. <laughs> the way that we look at that, there's a certain part of me yeah. that is like, huh, well, that's... Life uh, continues. Yeah, and... Uh, it reminds me of, uh, do you remember when we used to live in South Korea, and, uh, you know, occasionally something would happen... And everyone back home would just lose their minds. Yeah. And everyone in South Korea was like, meh, it's just another day. It is. And I guess that's my point, is it's just another day. You know, it's possible Trump could lose the election. It's, you know, in my view, and 60% of America probably, you know, from the last USA Today poll agree with this, he could win again. Mm. We generally do have two-term presidents. So if we're Mm. following tradition, yeah, he'll He'll stay. He'll probably stay. Yeah, it's normal. George, I mean, we're, we're George right, Bush Senior was really... right in the middle of an election cycle right now. That's right, and and it's fun to watch, and it's you know it's a bit of everything. But I guess the thing that people need to do is calm down about everything mm. because Donald Trump is what Donald Trump is. Yeah, okay, yeah. he's a president. I certainly don't agree with a lot of the things he's done, mm. but he's president, and he is the head of your country. He's mm. our, you know, I said it to someone today. He's, he's like, he's, you have your queen, we have mm. our president. Yeah, yeah. And yes, he's very much wanting to be president king, not yeah. president anything else. But you know, he's finding ways to do it. So, how do you feel about someone like Bernie Sanders, who is perhaps maybe? very far the other side of the of the spectrum political spectrum and i guess this is what i was trying to get at as, as a kind of my, my end thesis is i i don't agree with bernie sanders politics whatsoever um if he's the democrat i will probably vote for him because i wouldn't vote for trump because i really don't agree with his politics okay but part of me is like either way it'll be fine and that's the problem is because now you're talking about the Democratic National Convention mm. being throwing someone up because they're so worried about. So we were going to throw out the popular vote, which is everything we've stood for on the left, mm. for the sake of the fact that we don't think Bernie Sanders can win against Trump. Right. Not understanding just mm. how stupid that argument sounds, mm. how circular it is. Mm. And this is my problem with America in general. Right. It's like this is what we do to ourselves. We keep trying to convince ourselves that we have the higher ground mm. we have the better argument mm-hmm. we don't we just have an opinion right. and we're very good at arguing it and no one knows that better than me mm. i am you know king I, argument king argument thank you very much and why i never ended up in a courtroom i have no idea but mm. that's just not where my life took me yeah but that's the point like yeah. you can have an opinion an argument and if you're not right it doesn't mean everything's going to go to shit we just constantly want to feel that way because it makes us feel justified in having this ultra-aggressive stance on things. Yeah. Our stance against Trump is ultra-aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work with, no offense to anybody, you know, people who are probably similar in some ways to this. Not directly, but obviously I work at a global blah, blah, like blah. corporate <coughs> about the bottom line. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it's, you know, that's what I mean. I work in the, the easiest way, I work in the white collar world. There's mm. going to be people like Trump in the yeah, white collar yeah. world. That's where they exist. Mm. And they do all sorts of things. Mm. I may not necessarily be working for them or working with them, but they exist in the city that I go into every day. And that's my point. The world does not come to an end just because the system is the way it is there. Mm. And it is, you know, I see it firsthand, man. Yeah, yeah. And the funniest thing is, there's only so few people in that group that realize that, like, for me, like, mm. I never really consider myself part of it. Right, right, it right. pays my bills. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very thankful for my job yeah. and very thankful for the company that gives me my job mm. however 
like I don't buy into any of it. Right. Like I'm just like well. I think it's it's interesting because it brings it all back to the film uh, because it's I think a big part of its message is about fear <laughs> and culture f- of yeah, fear. A culture of fear, and I think this very much. You know, oh, it's going to be the end of the world, blah, blah, blah. Everything is an extreme reaction. And I think it's arguably a problem of Western culture in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something that we have here, uh, you know. Um, but how do you see that playing a part in, you know, America moving forward? America is aging. Mm-hmm. It's the one, it's one of the many things that England has over us. We always say that about Europe, that Europe's the old world, but England mm. especially, because England is the most similar European country mm. to to America. The benefit you have is that you're, you know, let's say roughly a thousand years old on your current groups okay. of people, right? Yeah. You definitely had, you know, since Magna Carta, at least we can say that's been a progression of English culture mm-hmm. to where we've gotten to now. And it's not a pretty picture. You know, mm. you have imperialism, you have all sorts of things, but... Yeah. You know, generally, it's it's kind of cool to be English. You know, I think the thing that everyone gets here, and in, in, you know, Brexit pushed us dangerously towards the precipice, is the idea that no argument is worth that much. Mm. Okay, and that's I guess that's my end message for watching Bowling and <laughs> Columbine. The one thing he doesn't say that I think he should have was it still was a senseless killing. Mm. You know, he tries to say it as the victims and what caused this. Mm. He doesn't turn it around because I think the news media did plenty of that already, and this is probably why he said it wasn't needed to be addressed, but there is no self-address on the fact that two kids took it upon themselves to murder mm. a sheer, a, a large, I don't, I, can't, I don't remember the numbers. Mm. Something should be said about that. Yeah, In yeah. other words, the, the, one of the, the, you know, if I had a worse scene, mm. the worst scene is not the scene, it's the theme that these two boys were victims. Mm. They're not victims. They picked up a gun, they shot and killed lots of people. So stop trying to put Marilyn Manson on there to me, mm. make it seem like all they needed was someone to talk to. No, they shot people. Yes. And that's I, what I'm saying. I, I, so, I will say, though, that I, I think with with a more global view of things, there is systemic reasons for why it happened. I think you're right. They committed a crime and arguably amongst the most heinous crimes that you can possibly commit. And that's why I'm trying to bring it to the center, because mm. it doesn't, the, the end of the film doesn't do that. It sticks it on the left, and it says victims yeah. were here, so it, so, and they, so, they bring in yeah. the six-year-old kid. That, that's another thing I'm not happy about. Okay. They bring up the six-year-old kid in Flint. That's mm. not a parallel. That's a six-year-old child mm. that brought in a gun one day thinking it was a toy and right. shot a girl. Right. Those two kids from Columbine... Nothing of the sort. Mm. They went bowling because they knew they were going to take out an entire school but see, of people. I, there I see it a little bit as a kind of counterpoint to the whole, oh, you know, it's all this uh, gun crime and this and that. And, and sometimes there's tragedies that result from like other reasons, you know, whether it's the mother needing two jobs and she's got to leave the kid with, with family members... I, I I saw that a little bit as, as him kind of trying to counterbalance a little but, bit. And I guess that's my point is like America, he's trying to say we could fix this. Mm. And I guess my point is you can't, you fix, can't it. fix it. 
Okay, uh, American culture is American culture. It mm. has to run its own course. Mm, mm. And it will. How did you feel about the scene uh, where they go to Kmart headquarters with the kids? I think that's, you know, this is where maybe this film is all over the place because that's an example of where I think he's very effective. Mm. Isn't that stunt kind of... Worked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. That's that's where me and yeah. Michael Moore, I'm like, hey man, you did what you wanted to do. And in that sense, is there not hope that change can happen? Of course, and that's the thing. I'm not saying that change can't happen. I'm just mm. saying you can't force change. Okay. Right now, we live in an era because so many people are so unhappy with Donald Trump mm. that a, a great voice in my country thinks that the way to do it mm. is by forcing the other side to concede. That's not going to happen. We're not a country of conceders. We're a country of arguers. Mm. That is why, for some odd reason, the middle of Portland, Oregon, who used to, you know, used to be one of the quietest places I know has now gone crazy with Antifa fighting the alt-right. Let them have a battle in Thunderdome Mm. then because that's the point. Like, it doesn't matter. How did you feel about the the Parkland kids? The, The... That they started that whole movement, the March for Our Lives. I think that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I just don't... I th- We have to talk about the, the Charlton Heston interview. Yes, and I think we'll finish of... on that, because that's the ending. That's, yeah. that's very much the ending. And, yeah. and, and, and I've said plenty about this. Ed, how did you feel? Because you said you had some, some issues with that. Why don't we I did. Get, to the, get to the bottom of that, then? Um, so, you know, the it, it's, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful moment. He shows up at Charlton Heston's house and he rings the doorbell and he says, hi, it's Michael Moore. I'm a filmmaker. I'd like to talk to you about... Member um, of the NRA. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's important. like, I'm a member of the NRA. In. Yeah. And Charlton Heston says, I've got people over, but come back tomorrow. So he invites him back hmm. the following day. Um. Now then, I, I feel like it, by this point... The NRA has definitely been made out to be the bad guys in this. Always, always made out to be the bad yeah. guy. Um, you know, whether they are, or they aren't. Like, yeah, I don't. I don't that's, the point. That that that's how the film portrays them, mm-hmm. narratively speaking. Um, which I have a slight problem with because it puts you in a certain mind frame before you even heard the guy out. Mm-hmm. Um, now what does go on as he talks and he uses a lot of the the arguments that thus far Michael Moore has been trying to debunk the fact that other countries are violent the fact that there's you know ethnic mix in other countries the fact that other countries have guns and he kind of presents this um in in his discussion with Michael Moore Michael Moore again rebukes, you know, all the all, all of these points. Um, by the end of it, I don't know how I felt. But th- this time round, when when I watched it the first time round, I was like, "Oh, you piece of shit." So you're talking about the the extent of where he goes with the picture and just stands there while, while that Charles that's him. that was the bit where I was like, "Oh, as much as." I dislike everything that he's been saying. It feels like grandstanding. It feels like getting on the high horse and uh, preaching, which maybe is the way. Maybe that's what you need. You need to, you know, hit, hit people over the head with the facts 
and say, look at this picture of this girl who got shot. What I, yeah, what I would say to that is, I mean, you're talking about Michael Moore. So Michael Moore is one of those deeply passionate people. And yeah. when you're an American and deeply passionate person, this is coming from experience, just ask my wife. Mm. You know, it's tough. Like, mm. you feel things. This happened in his hometown. He, right. he interviewed the principal of the school. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that moment is tinged with too much honesty for me to say it's grandstanding. I think but he, did you notice... I think he has to do it for him. Yeah. Not for Charleston Heston. I think he yeah. knows exactly what's going to happen. But did you notice... And again, this is like filmmaker hat on. Did you notice the reverse shot that he makes? So he follows him out. Yes, and then Charles he reverses Heston's on himself walking, with the picture, right? Walking down. And he says, Mr. Heston, one last thing. This is a picture of the girl. And it cuts to a reverse on him. Yeah, Michael Moore standing with the Now, he set that shot up. Yeah, sure. I can guarantee that. Has to, yeah? Yeah. So... I see what you're saying. So you're talking, this is where Eddie the director comes in, and and you are very good with this, because I hadn't appreciated what you're saying, but you're saying... Because there is a manipulation. You managed here. to actually get us back in indie filmmaking. Look so, at that. Yes, look at that. Look at what that. are you guys talking about? Last ten seconds of the podcast, we're <laughs> actually going to go out and talking about film again. So yeah, no, that would be a setup, wouldn't it? See, so we'd have to. God, the rig would have to go the other way around then. Yeah. And that that see what he's pointing out and what you may not realize is that takes time. Yeah. That doesn't just happen. There was you would have seen it otherwise if the cameraman had panned. Or if he'd had two cameramen, exactly. it would have cut Instead, between them. Instead, he stops. And it's interesting that we haven't, that Charleston Hess is not completely off the picture by then, so they must have done it quick. But they quickly take the camera the other end, set it up and say, focus on the shot. Right. And I, I understand that it was probably handheld. No, no, no. It was, but, it was, but, but then it has to But it takes time. You've got, thing, to, you've got to, you've got to, to walk grand. around and I say, mean, hold up the picture again, please. It, and... And say exactly what you said and have some emotion in, yeah. in what you're saying. I mean, saying. I'm not sure if it goes that far, but it certainly is enough for him to say, I want the camera to come around on me now. Yeah. And that is a form of grandstanding. I mean, again, it all feeds in. I think we're in the same mind with this. I think he has to do this for himself. It's a, it's, it's a narrative. It's, He's trying to hit I, his I guess what home. you're pointing out is, you know, the closest comparison you have to a Michael Moore in this country is Louis Thoreau because that guy is just hilarious and brilliant. He is brilliant. Time. He is but brilliant. But Louis is better than Michael Moore as far as never showing... You know, the one thing, the way Louis Thoreau works, and uh. I tried to explain this to my wife once, the reason he's able to do what he's able to do is because he doesn't... The same thing Michael Moore. Michael Moore just seems like this really nice guy that's asking you questions. Louis Thoreau is the really nice guy who asks you. He doesn't actually do the Michael Moore at the end as he's English. So it never comes out as, as caustic when you ask those last two questions yeah, yeah, at the end. Yeah. Saying like, well, what about this? Or Which is about... like hammering the nail home. Yeah, Mike, Michael Moore does it a bit. He even does this kind of more American voice. Like, hey, can you um, tell me why? You can tell he's setting the question up. Right. Where Louis Thoreau is doing it too, but he does it in an English way. So it literally the, the tone doesn't change. He just says, you know, when he's with like the Nazi mother, he's like, do, do you really think this is a good thing to be telling your kids? And then when the mother says no, he's like, okay. But notice both of those examples, and again, we're coming back to the filmmaking of it. Most documentaries are trying to be journalism. Yes. Right? And, and one of the ways that they do that is by removing the filmmaker 
from the you film. have to because otherwise it's an opinion piece and that's what you're saying about Michael Moore and is that all of a sudden he turns it into an opinion he's piece he's very good at it he's saying Mr. Heston you're not being fair because I'm showing you a picture of this dead little girl and you're walking away right when actually you know that's and I did feel that way because it's not like I'm a big fan of Charleston Heston but you know he was the guy was ancient anyway we went to see him and he's He's from a way he's older generation. He's not going to change his mind. I don't he's think... He's not going to get him to apologise. It feels like preaching to the choir. Yeah, I think it's... It's, it, it's you know... So then the question arises. Are documentaries like this one pointless? No, none at all. We've just had a two-hour amazing discussion <laughs> about this. Like, but no. aren't we the choir to a certain degree? No. No? No. I think every individual person exists on this earth and has to operate on this earth. So it's like, you know, what we did here and what I was trying to do for the podcast, because people are going to watch this film now, and it's more important to me personally, and I apologize for not really getting the indie filmmaker stuff, but this is a, this is a really good look at my country and a hmm. really good look at the culture of my country. And I get very tired of living abroad where people try to define my country and define Fair. my culture. Fair. You don't understand it because you have certain preconditions about it. Not you, Ed. No, no, no. But people it. in general. People in general. And I, to be fair, considering all the you know media that I consume and all these kinds of things, the fact that I've got family in Texas and like I have preconceived ideas, hmm. you know. But one thing that I did want to discuss before we kind of finally sign off is one last thing. Yeah, last thing. Um, we talked a little bit about this, but... So one of the very difficult things about making a documentary mm. is the sheer amount of footage that you have to work with. Unlike most films, you go into a documentary with a very, very general outline of... The kind of things that you want to, to yeah. To cover. Some of the greatest examples of this are like, and I was just talking about this today with uh, I, I was teaching a, a, a legal class this morning at my job, and someone was talking about me too, and and the way that we interpret like murder mysteries and stuff. And I brought up making a murderer. Yeah. So making a murderer is very interesting for two points, and the first point being, you know, they followed this guy around because he had just been let out of jail for ten years after being wrongly convicted of rape. Mm -hmm. It just so happened. That as they kept following him for you know, the year they were documenting his life out of jail, mm -hmm. that he goes back into jail for murder, right. and then the series starts. Right. But they had no intention whatsoever of covering this. They just thought, well, we're here. Yeah. We'd better capture this. And it turns out to be a story. Right. Uh, I yeah. Same in Icarus. We talked about that film. Yep. Uh, amazing film where the filmmaker... Was an amateur cyclist. I, I so strong. I so strongly recommend this film. He was a won an Oscar, didn't it? Yeah, it did. He was a cyclist who wanted to try and dope himself to see if that made him a better cyclist. Now that in and of itself, yeah, it's an interesting little documentary niche audience, right? But in his research and in meeting the people who could show him the things to do, mm -hmm. he meets a Russian guy who ends up getting embroiled in the whole, you know, WADA, like drugs. Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. It's like a thriller. It really is. It's absolutely amazing. And the guy is such a character, you know. And so this is the thing. You have so much footage and you don't necessarily know where the story is going to go. So it's, it's like the polar opposite of the Edgar Wright we're talking about. Edgar Wright yes. like shoots for what he needs only. Exactly. Like everything is so precisely calculated. Exactly. 
with Michael Moore, um, I, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall mm. because I wonder how much of it was preconceived and therefore manipulative. I think the vast majority of it, right? I, I think it's hard to say. I think there's got to have been a lot of stuff which was off the cuff and he didn't know, like when he met Dick Clark, he didn't know if he would slam the, the door in his face, but he probably had a good idea, right? How did he think that interview with Charleston Heston was going to go? Right. I mean, you know... I, it, would, I would lead him to believe that he was smart enough to know how that interview with Marilyn Manson had, was going to go. Yeah, he had a picture of the little girl ready, like, you know... And that's not to, to disparage the film some of it for being manipulative. Yeah, some of it you'd have to see where the film time actually was, and I didn't look this up. So, I mean, things happen, things might be happening in the middle. Like, I got the impression, and maybe wrongly so, that the, mm. like, the shooting uh, of the girl in Flint happens as he's filming yes, this. And I that's think, why he I was like, well, here's correct. a perfect example. Yeah, I think that's absolutely and correct. And so that kind of stuff is more documentary yeah, style. Yeah, and it's like inserted in there. But the vast majority of everything else, like he, he knew that's what he was going to do. I think so. And, and and I'm telling Eddie this because I've told Eddie that I want us to make a documentary. I'm like, and this is how we'll make it. <laughs> we will manipulate A completely biased documentary. So, my point is, and hopefully this is the last point, um, but... This is a film that I think should be watched. I think it raises some important things. But like so many pieces of news nowadays, like so many videos online nowadays, I think you have to have a discerning point of view and understand that it's coming from someone's point of view. Especially if you look forward in his filmography and you start looking at some of his later films which become almost propagandist. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, by 11.9. She said, the thing that turned me off about 11.9, the first five minutes of that movie, because you say we'd be actually talking about the film as opposed to talking mm -hmm. about that, the first, his first argument is that like Trump and, I, and his daughter must be sleeping together. See, And, and it's like, and and it's, then and it's he just, doesn't say it, but he's like, here's a picture of yeah, Donald yeah, Trump with right. her on his lap, and here's this, and here's that. I'm like, yeah. dude, if you're, if you're wanting me to, to talk about what's wrong with Donald Trump, we shouldn't start with, I think he might be sleeping with yeah, his daughter. Like, because I get you don't like him. Yeah, Nobody exactly. You, people on the left hate this guy. And Fahrenheit 9/11 was the same. He's, man, it was it was uh, it was a it was a man who hated George Bush so much and Dick Cheney and no no no. And and it's fine if you that. didn't want America to go to war. All that was going to do. But we live in a culture now, and Americans are the worst for this because we are so opinionated. But it's like we live in a culture of self-satisfaction. The right. podcasts I listen to, I told you I listen to reviews of movies I've already seen just so they agree with my reviews. <laughs> but I think that it's a global issue as well. I think that in England we have a lot of the same problems. I think it's a Western issue. Yeah, I cannot yes. speak okay. for other parts of the world because True. I don't know how they operate with But this. we lived in Korea, right? right? Yeah, and I don't know how much Koreans are like that. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like We still lived in our own bubble out there in the Western world. You lived True. there for 12 years. I lived there so, for 12 years. So you yeah. can speak much more about it than I can. I mean, I, I can tell you that that, um, that it was a very proud moment for me. And, you know, I'm not Korean. I have no... Other than having lived there for quite a while. But uh, when when President Park Geun-hye was impeached and sent to jail... Really? Ooh, I'm, I'm I was intrigued. very, very, very proud. So this was a... Was the left against her? Was It, it was a democratic movement. Him. Which, Sorry, it was him, right? No, her, her. Her, there yeah. we go, okay. Um, which was 
incredible to be witness to um, in a way that I wish perhaps we had more balls for that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, in the West. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap it up now because we've been talking, God, that's two hours and 15 minutes, I think. So uh, some editing on my part. <laughs> uh- <laughs> two parts, man. Doing two parts. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. Why not? I fear no one would ever listen to us in two parts. I, I had such a good time. I don't care. I'll listen to it. Okay. What I like to do, what we'll probably do, is the same thing I did with... So in the last... Um, I do have to make an apology. And this will stay in the podcast. I do have to make an apology. The last time you're going to listen to the Scott Pilgrim podcast, and the whole time we're talking about legacy, 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 video games, video games, all of that was cut. Okay? Because we had, we had two and a half hours of talking... And I had to get it done. I never make it more than two hours for your viewing, unless you want me to. As I said, you send me that comment that says, no, I want the full thing. I'll put it back together. I can literally construct it for you tomorrow. But there's a whole section of our conversation where we're talking about video games and how that influence life that has completely been extracted. We've done that with Rise of Skywalker was the other one where I cut a lot because we just had a lot to say about that one. And this one, there will be things that are cut because I'm generally going to try to keep to an hour and a half, two hours, which I know Eddie doesn't like, but I'm the producer, so I get to make the call. Ha 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 ha. So, but with that in mind, we'll try to keep the good stuff in and keep it juicy, keep it special. Oh, he's pouting. I'm so sad. I have a six-year-old that I pouts. Like, I like our conversations. Yes, whether anyone else does, though, is thing that is a producer. I don't care. I stay awake at night wondering these things. <laughs> I you don't know? care. <laughs> no one's just saying I don't care. That's a director's prerogative. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Though. That's Let's... why he's a good director, though, because this is the you know the, the give and the take. So at any rate, but thank you very much for listening to what was you know a film discussion, but then more of a political discussion. But from an indie filmmaker standpoint, this is what you want to be doing with a documentary. Okay, yeah. that's why we did Creating it. Creating conversation. I had something I had to say after watching this film because yeah. I just feel having lived in England now for for over ten years. You know, this is something that's not understood by an English broadcasting. And, and I knew walking into this, just like Michael Moore knew when he was making that film, that, that Ed would have a different view on this yeah. than I would because there are, you know, you stereotype. And mm. that's not Ed's fault. That's not anybody's fault. Yeah. I stereotype English people the same way. I think it's, I think documentary films are a fantastic way to open your mind, whether it's Hoop Dreams, The Thin Blue Line, Icarus. Oh, I know you dreams, just had a moment. Hoop dreams. What a brilliant, what a brilliant documentary. Oh my God. You know, um, it was so good. I would say that as a child. In the yeah, no, there's 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 so many great documentaries out there that. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to put this film in our top ten. But, but this is the other... Like, filmmaking to me is a means to an end, okay? Mm-hmm. Everything in my life always has an agenda. That's just the way I was built, okay? And some people like that. Other people get really mad about it. But filmmaking, this type of filmmaking, the means to the end is to get you in a room and get you talking. And yeah. that is what I feel yeah. on my podcast and your podcast that people aren't doing I want, you know, I challenge you, the listeners, if you've mm. been with us since the get-go, you're like, I love, love Victoria Productions, I love what you guys talk about, I believe in what they're saying, you know, this is what I want you to do, this is your homework, Tyler Durden homework, mm-hmm. you go out, you find someone with a completely different view than yours, you watch something that dissects that view, and then you sit down Have and you talk about it for two hours, yeah. because we are not doing that these days, yeah. and I don't care how many times you can use your phone and phone Google, mm-hmm. guess what, anyone can do that. What it really takes is someone to be able to discern someone else's opinion mm. and understand where they're coming from. And that's what we're really struggling with mm. these days. Final little addendum, because I think we can't not mention it. Okay. This, is, this film was made in a time before social media. Okay. 
um, I think that social media has had a massive impact on the way we talk about these kinds of issues. Yes. Social media has become a form of shouting. Yeah. And equally, I find myself in a bubble of my friends, the people who post things that I like and that I read tend to have my views. And so I never get the chance to hear someone else's view. You, and often... You, you do, and I, you're going to be really mad at me for this, so I will edit it out if you get really upset about it. <laughs> but you did. You had a guy, a friend of yours, posted on your... On your I said, yes. And you told no, him no, to remove the comment yeah, and put I it did. somewhere else. And I was going to chastise you at the time yeah, yeah, for it and no, be like, no, no let I him have this done it. Absolutely. We don't agree at all with what people were saying, but Absolutely. it's not our place. I can't agree more. And, and that, that and was that's my, what social media does. Yeah, yeah, that was my reaction. My reaction was like, oh, I don't want people arguing. Uh, on yeah, because my... you knew it was going to happen. You're like, oh, yeah. I don't want 20 posts from other Especially people. because I posted something that was... Completely... It, no, it was, it was like, it was provocative. It was like, oh, we don't have enough equality or it was an equality and that's, equity. That's thing. where I was going to come at you with and mm. say, listen, you can't post something yeah, and that's not that expect, much and not, not listen to the other side that's absolutely. saying... Absolutely. And watching this film made me realize that. Cool. You Very know? cool. All right. I'm smiling and doing a little dance now because there's just, it, you know, it, we is, do, my, we need, it, we need it is my best friend. But as long as one person understood, like, the point is that we need talk. We need to talk. And we need to. That's what happened. That's why those kids weren't victims, mm. They but they needed to talk. Yeah. They needed to sit and have a, you know, someone talk to them. Yeah. And, and someone talk. listen to them and... Okay. Not be dismissed. And that like happens that. on the left, it happens on the right, it happens on the up, and it happens on the down. That's yep. the point. Yep. Okay? Yep. So, with that, we will sign off, though. Remember, you can catch us at www.lawvictoriaproductions.com. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So, LinkedIn is, as you knew, Love Victoria Productions, and my name, Jason Chereau. Facebook, either the names or Love Victoria Productions. Instagram is the interesting one. It's a nano LVP. That has the best posts. Or if you want some silly stuff, go to Jazzy J. Chereau. Uh, Twitter has Mouth Love Victoria, which I am the mouth. Been going on all day today. <laughs> As clearly demonstrated. As clearly demonstrated. Yeah. So please, and this one we should get some comments on. Please, we, we spent the entire show talking about our beliefs. We want to hear your be beliefs. Interesting. And I promise I'm I will sorry, not make this. Eddie move anybody's comments anywhere. Yeah, we will we, have we, them we out. We will not tell you to shut up and take it somewhere okay, else. Okay, we want to open, we want open dialogue here. Yeah, and yeah. we are prepared for the trolls or whatever who else wants to come away. Okay? But thank you very much for listening to What Are You Guys Talking what About? What Are You Guys Talking About? Because today was fucking everything. So, yeah. love you guys and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Peace. Guys.